0: Hey, Jimmy Pemberton. Welcome to the Thick Boot Camp Podcast.
1: Awesome. Thanks for having me.
0: We're really excited to have you, Jim. And, and um, you know, we we are always looking for folks who have had, uh, you know, a journey where they want to share their experiences with the community and they want to become a platform of the practical experts. And you were one of the people who was kind enough to reach out to us. So we really thank you for reaching out and, and offering to share your journey with folks on our platform.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. And it was fun, you guys through this process of hearing other people's journeys to help myself. It's like, I know you have to be a part of it once you go through it is how I felt. Right.
0: And that is really kind of great. Right? I mean, it's really kind of you to give back to, to, to so many of the folks who had given to you and given to us here on this platform. And, and I know folks are really going to love to hear about your journey before we get into your journey and, 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 and some of the really cool things you've been able to do to get through your um, really difficult time. I uh, want you talk to us a little about, you know, who you are and and let's introduce you to the community. Sure.
1: So I guess if we were to start with a career and how it integrates into my life, you know, spent the early part of my career as a touring musician and a music educator, Uh, grew up as a drummer. I still do plenty of that today. As that kept going, I built a consulting company. And then right, you know, pre-COVID and pre-getting sick, I raised some venture capital for a tech startup uh, still in the music space. So my world has always been quite social within the music and the arts, if you will. Um, and that, that's been my, my whole life of focus, but very social within it, if that oh. makes sense.
0: So let's, let's, let's build that out a little bit more, Jim. So what, what part of the country are you from? Are you, you are from the U.S. We, we do have a large international community and we've had a number of international guests. So we, I, I do want to share with folks you are from the U.S. Why don't you talk about what part of the U.S. you are from and where did you grow up?
1: Sure. So uh right now I live in Quincy, Massachusetts, which is just south of Boston. And I grew up a little further south from here in a town called Marshfield.
0: And I'm surprised you're uh, you're uh, you're a a Boston guy because I don't hear any packing the car, or any of that kind of uh accent. What what happened to your yeah. uh patterns there, Jimmy? I,
1: think, well, I get asked about this all the time. I think over time from uh traveling a bit with music and and just some other things, the accent left me. Uh because I had it. My mom still has it. It's very thick. Um, The first band I was ever in in high school was called Saturn. And my mom would always say satin, like the fabric when it was the planet. (laughs) And it was always one of those things that I noticed. But yeah, over time, for whatever reason, the accent has uh, sort of left me.
0: All right. So I'm glad to hear at least one of us does not have an accent because everybody knows I have a thick Long Island accent. So (laughs) at least one of us speaks English. So uh, talk about what it was like to grow up in Massachusetts, right? And folks who listen to our podcast know that we uh, we actually call the East Coast of uh, of the U.S. the Lyme Belt, right? I, I grew up on Long Island, and and ticks and tick diseases were a big part of my childhood. Despite being an old guy, um, I'm wondering what your experience was what was like growing up in the Lyme Belt yourself.
1: Yeah, I was always aware and a little like nervous about ticks. So like I was the guy on the golf course who did have like the tall socks in the summer and had tick spray. So I was always aware of it. I did not know how bad it could be. I just always heard it was bad. And I knew a couple people that maybe got the bullseye or a friend of a friend who went through something with like swollen joints, but I never knew to the degree that it could really hit.
0: So you, what you're really saying is you didn't know that uh, Lyme disease could present as a chronic illness, right? Because that's really where I was as well. Even when I met Matt uh, and folks on our platform know I actually represented Matt, um, you know, while he was chronically ill uh, as his lawyer. And uh, and despite growing up on Long Island and, and actually being aware of ticks and tick diseases before the Lyme, that's how old I am, Jim, before the Lyme bacteria was uh, discovered, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I did not know that Lyme would present as a chronic illness.
1: Yeah, I didn't know that it could present as chronic. I didn't know all the different areas it could affect within the body. Like I had no idea about neurological symptoms, uh, it affecting things like hormones. I knew none of this. Um, I always sort of just heard about achy joints and being tired, like some fatigue, but that was it. Um, And once I learned that was something that really hit me, I was like, oh, people knew, like, how did I not know this? Um. yeah, that was a, a surprise to me for sure.
0: Uh, so you were up just north of Connecticut, right? North of Lyme, yep. Lyme, Connecticut. And, uh, and you were generally aware, but talk to us about how you became generally aware. Was, was your awareness born out of some educational experiences you had as a student in school? Was it born out of having a protective set of parents or a protective mom? Was it born out of information that you received from hiking and scouting and that kind of stuff? And where did you get this information from?
1: Yeah. Great question. It it definitely came from, if I'm remembering right, probably my mom or some form of parental something being like check for ticks. Like I remember that being a thing, like getting my head checked, like in the way that they would check for a license school. Only This was, you're coming in from being in the woods all day. And then it was check for ticks and being told to check for ticks.
0: So, what did that check look like, right? Because you know, one of the things that we we've discovered here at Tick Bootcamp is, unfortunately, awareness is not enough, right? I mean, most people are not aware. You did grow up in the line belt, uh, so you were you were more aware than most. Uh, but awareness is not enough, right? I mean, we really need to have you know a skill set on how to prevent ticks from attaching to us. We have to have a skill set on how to check for those ticks. We have to have a skill set on how to remove ticks. And even more importantly, we have to have a skill set on how to support our body and our immune system while we're going through that battle of of um of uh, of these germs that get spit into us, right? So Um, it sounds like you knew to wear, you know, some bug spray and high socks, which by the way, we'll talk about the high socks in a minute, how it's really not going to help you. Um, (laughs) But other, other than, other than, you know, other than sort of having this general awareness, I mean, what else did you do to protect yourself from, from Lyme disease?
1: Uh, really nothing. The only, at that point of my life, the only other information that I remember being given to me was removing one, or like if I had removed it from a pet, it was to get the head out. That was the only other thing that was said. And then that you could use like petroleum jelly where it would start to work itself out and then use the tweezers. That was as far as it went at that point. Uh, with what I knew now, like I couldn't believe that there were different types of ticks and that the sizes as far as where they're on their growth stage. That was uh, quite alarming <laughs> to me. Um, but no, that was it at that point as far as how to protect and sort of, get rid of one. And then there was never the thought of remove it and then do anything else. That definitely wasn't in the conversation. It was just remove the tick and make sure you get all of it.
0: So let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about the, the, the native information you were given because it's very much like mine. As It turns out it's all wrong, right? So, so the first thing that you were doing is when you were going out, uh, you were wearing high socks with the belief that, Hey, if I have high socks that would protect me from getting bitten by a tick, which of course is not true Mm -hmm. because the ticks are so small, they can actually get through the, they can get through the socks and they can bite you. Right. So having high socks is not going to protect you. (laughs) The second thing, you know, that we were, we were taught um, and, and, and I had many, many ticks on me and we had many ticks on our dog um, was to use petroleum jelly, which you should not use. Right. Oh, interesting. Um, I didn't know that. So. Yeah. So it, it does not cause the tick to back out. Uh, and even more importantly, the more time the tick is spending on you, the more likely it is that you're going to get sick. Right. Okay, right. Yeah. The, the, the third thing we were told, like you, was that you have to make sure you get the head out. And quite frankly, that's not important. Right. What's what's important is getting the tick off as quickly as possible. And if the head is still left in you, your body, in most cases, will it, it will push it out. Without any without any assistance, yep. so getting the head out is not the most important thing. In fact, it's not important at all. What's most important is just getting that tick off you as quickly as possible. And if you're being too precise about making sure that you're, you're you know you're, you're you're getting the head out, you know, and again, it's not the head; it's just the mouth that goes into you. The head of the tick does not go into your into your uh, into your body. um, You know, you you may be putting yourself in a position where you're more likely to get sick because the tick is attached much longer, right? Yep. So. Yeah, all these misnomers, of course, are, are things that we, we deal with on our tick by blueprint on our website. So hopefully if folks have any questions, they can, they can go there. So uh, like you, um, you know, I should say you like me, we had all this bad information about what we should be doing. So talk to us about, you know, you were, you were, um, you were an athlete, uh, you were a golfer. Um, you know, how many times have you been by a tick? How many times do you find ticks biting you?
1: Uh, good, I have no idea. I just know it was semi-consistent. Like it was, it, it was pretty normal. Let's say it was once a summer, right? Growing up. So, and it's like knowing what I know now, that sounds horrifying.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and of course, you know, the, the likelihood is you were getting bitten multiple times each summer. You were just finding them on you, right. The right? And, and it yep. was just multiple times, right? So that's the, the scary part of that. So, so talk to us about what your, what your life was like generally as this young kid who was getting bitten by ticks, what kinds of things were you working towards, what times uh, finds, uh, kinds of things were you dreaming about uh, we know from what you've shared with us as you became a musician and a mu- music educator as well as now a, a a musical techie uh but how did how did that come to be how did that come to pass during during uh, your life as a young person north of Lyme Connecticut
1: yeah so I, drums is something I fell into super early I got my first drum set from my parents I think I was in My first real drum set, first grade, but then I had the toy ones before that, and I just always had a lot of energy, so that was a good outlet. I also did play a lot of sports. I grew up playing soccer and then later ran track, and then even senior year of high school, I kicked for the football team, so I was always active in that way as well, and then as I came through high school, I went to Berklee College of Music for like half a semester and then ended up jumping on the road. With a band, and then that just led to more gigs, and, and sort of went that road to to start the career, while also doing some teaching on the side. But that was the basic trajectory. I was just always a a busy person and a high energy person.
0: So talk to us about the touring experience because we've had a number of different touring musicians on this podcast, several professional touring musicians like you, mm-hmm. and and what we've what we we've discovered. Um, is that uh, that's a really rigorous life, uh, and I think I think the person who's sort of like most public about the challenges with uh, with touring as a musician and the impact that has on your health is Justin Bieber, who is you know he, who's now crashed several times because of his um, because of his work as a touring musician. So talk to us about the rigors of working as a touring musician and and what impact that was having on your health.
1: Sure. So for me. The years I was touring was from like age 19 to around 23. And it was, it was definitely burning the candle at both ends because I was also coming home and I wasn't making enough money touring to sustain. So I was teaching and doing other things. So it was just this nonstop thing. But when you were out there, not that I was paying too much attention to what I was eating at the time, but you weren't eating well nonetheless. I wasn't sleeping well. Uh, and it was those type of things that were uh, kind of the reason that I also stopped doing it. And I just found other things where I had the passion for the industry. And I was like, oh, these other things are a bit more lucrative. I can sleep and actually build a life. And that felt more like a thing. And I still get out and play and, and did a lot post those years. But when it was more of the full-time thing, um, it was that, but just difficult for me. It was the sleep more than anything that was hard the constant moving around. Um, so
0: um, let's let we'll give folks a preview. You, you didn't get sick until you were approximately 36. So why don't you fill in that window for us between when you stopped touring yeah. as a musician and uh, when you you finally got sick at 36.
1: Sure. Life was good. <laughs> um, not that it didn't have its normal ups and downs, but stopped touring. I got into consulting within the music business and also a bit of the the tech industry and started to have a really successful consulting business. And I was also able to keep all my drumming endorsements and still play once in a while. So I had this really cool life of like, oh, I'm going to do this gig for you know two or three days. And then I'm back to normal life. Like it, for me, it was like the perfect mix. Um, and it was fun to grow a business and work with other friends, especially on the tech side who were building companies. So that was super good. Um, social life was super full. Um, I'm trying to think what else was going on. so I, I would say it was like the this sort of prime thing of, of nice balance, which is hopefully what I'm getting back to, um, and going through this also brought me back to that, which I'm sure we'll get into in a bit. but it was just this great balance of you know, I could go from sitting in a boardroom, discussing ideas, working on building a company or helping someone else's company as a consultant in that capacity, and literally go from that to go play two like gigs in front of a decent sized audience and have a ton of fun and then come back. So I was living this like hybrid life that I felt super lucky to have. Um, and then I would still teach uh, a student here and there. And I get a lot of fulfillment from that as well. Uh, drum education has played a huge role in my life. I had this amazing mentor through the touring period and beyond. Uh, his name was Dick Desenzo. And so I'll always teach for that reason too, just cause I know what it did for me and you get all that thing as a teacher and a student. So I'd say that was the thing. I had a really good hybrid life, if you will, um, in the years in between.
0: So talk to us about what your social life was like. You you keep referencing having this rich social life, and I I could tell from your social media that you're a martial artist. Um, So talk to us about uh, what role martial arts was playing in your life during that window, and what other social activities you have. It looks like you also have um, you have uh, a, a, a relationship with a woman who you seem to have had a long-term relationship with all the way back to when you had hair. So yeah. <laughs> uh, talk to us about, talk to us about what, what your life was like, You know, both uh, both your social life, personal life, as well as your athletic life.
1: Yeah, so in between, the cool thing about what I got to do for work in the, the career building is it was very, very social, but on my own terms, which is like a, a thing with me. Like I had this no office clause in my consulting contracts where I'd only go to your office if I wanted to. And so that made it, I would usually go to meet up for lunches, hang and talk, and we would just do the business. I worked better at home, had the home office forever. This is pre it becoming a thing with you know COVID. And so I got to really pick my spots and it was always around the people I wanted to be around that inspired me. So it just was a rich social life in that way. Um, as far as the dating goes, I had a serious relationship somewhere in the middle there. There was X amount of years, but was healthy that ended. Uh, the girl you're talking about is uh, that's on my Instagram a bit is my friend, Kristen, who's been a friend of mine since I think like sixth grade. And we've just always been super close friends. And I'll get into it a little bit later. She really had my back through this process. Uh, and I'm very grateful for her and a bunch of others in that way. When it comes to martial arts, that really didn't start until I got sick. Um, I'd always dabbled and boxed a bit when I was young, um, but I turned the heat up on things uh, to help me recover with that, and that's when like the the Muay Thai, the kickboxing came into play.
0: Okay, so I'm going to ask you to pause on that then, because this is this is past where where uh, yep. I, I want to focus. But so this the 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 the, the what we we're leading up to because you do get sick and you do crash. Yep. Um, you were a very Productive, high-functioning person with this nice hybrid professional and personal life. Um, you were giving back by by giving lessons because you knew you had the responsibility of paying forward what you had learned from other folks and mentors who had who had who had invested in you, yeah. um, and you had a really nice gig.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was hey. like, like kind of the dream for me. Uh, it was it was awesome. Like, there's no other way. And I knew it sort of also in the moment where I was like, the income was right, the amount of playing drums was right, the amount of, tea, like, it just was right um, and super fulfilling to me. I think that's where some of that energy kept up because I was having a good time, like a super good time uh, with it. And the other thing that I'll point out during this period, because I started at 19, uh, is I started therapy when I was 19 years old. After my first tour, when I came home, I was like, whoa, things didn't feel just right. Just kind of like a, a, a blip in the road, if you will. And I started therapy then. And that, I think also during that time, played a huge role in my uh, feeling good, stability. It was just like this sort of support within that. And I've had the same therapist since I was 19, still today.
0: So, and, and and I think that's an important thing to flesh out, right? Because there are many, many people who are um, who are um, unfortunately uh, uh, in a position where they crash and and their health crashes, and they become chronically ill from a tick disease, not necessarily because they're not physically capable of of battling this battle, but in some cases and in many cases because they're not emotionally capable of 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 uh, managing this disease and and, and that that emotional presentation which I do want to build out with you a little bit more yep. but it seems to me that you were in a great place you were you were um, you valued your physical health yep. you valued your social health yep. you valued your spiritual health and your duty to give back yep. you valued your emotional health and you were in a therapeutic environment and you had this long-term relationship with uh, with um, with a professional who was helping you to be healthy right? So, um, what could be better? Jimmy was living living his best life, and then, yeah, and the dream turned into a nightmare. So, talk about uh, talk about uh, how how this uh, this great life you were you were leading um, triggered into or pivoted over into chronic illness.
1: Yeah, and I'll even give a little context for just before getting sick. That was interesting, and will kind of tell you where I was mentally. Just before, so right when COVID happened, my consulting business took a pretty big dive. I didn't even care like it didn't phase me because I was used to the ups and downs of business and sort of enjoyed it and I was excited for the next thing. So then right away, me and my co-founder, Josh, we just raised some venture capital and we're on to the thing that we were already sort of incubating. And it was a no brainer. So that's where I was sort of even like emotional. like cool. No sweat. Got hit with something. This COVID thing happens or is happening. Business is starting to tank because everyone's worried and closing down. Okay, we got to figure something out. Fine, we'll raise venture capital and grow the next thing. So that's right where I was. And I just entered a new relationship as well. So I was super excited about that. It was pretty new. Uh, This is during COVID. And then it got to August of 2021. I actually have my vaccine card here to make sure I get it right, Uh, August of 21, which I waited, I first did not want, this isn't political or anything, but I first was unsure of the vaccine. And then there was like some potential work opportunities in New York. And at that time they were requiring it. Um, There were some other stuff uh, within my personal life where people's family members maybe had cancer or there was just things going on. And I, I was computing all of this. Nope, there was no real pressure on me to be honest. And I was like, oh, maybe I just should so I can work a little bit more and figure this out. And then I went and I just got one vaccine shot. And within like a week, I started to have just insane symptoms, numb limbs, uh, trouble reading, which was quite scary, Uh, trouble talking, trouble finding words like, you name, I could literally go on and on and on ocular migraines, which I'd never had those. Um, and then it started to keep building on itself, and it was getting worse. And it really hit me neurologically more than anything.
0: Um, so let, let's talk about the vaccine issue. And, and look, there, there were some very, very strong opinions voiced on our various platforms at that time. Yep. Uh, Matt had actually decided not to get vaccinated, mm-hmm. uh, and he made that decision because. He was, you know, he was on the path uh, to to recovery, yep. uh, and uh, and he was concerned that uh, that his immune system might be overwhelmed by the vaccine. Uh, and, and before COVID, we had had a number of different people we had interviewed uh, who had gotten sick after uh, a vaccine. We had many uh, young women after after they had gotten uh, vaccinated. Um, you know, for the cervical cancer um, uh, vaccine yep. uh, who, had gotten, who had who had become chronically ill. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and we had many examples of that before the COVID vaccine. So uh, Matt and many other people in the community decided they would not go forward with the, um, with the um, COVID vaccine. And they felt a lot of pressure. I mean, we had people on our podcast, um, I should say on a social media platform who were very, very critical of Matt and attacked him because yeah. he made the decision uh that he would not be vaccinated and uh, i was on the other side of the uh, on the other side of the um coin. i i decided to get vaccinated uh and um you know and and, and so we we had some we had some robust conversation about it, but the the passions ran high and the criticism on both sides was was at times vicious uh yeah. so what was your gut telling you about why you shouldn't get vaccinated? And do you believe that had you followed your gut, maybe you wouldn't become, you wouldn't have been, become chronically ill because you seem like the kind of guy who sort of had his health in check yeah. and would have been able to manage this set of microbes that you had probably in your body for, you know, 30 years or so um, until your 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 immune system got overwhelmed by the Um, immune response to the vaccine
1: yeah nailed it um so what was the first question it was uh what was your gut
0: telling you i mean what what was your gut telling you why didn't you follow your gut despite pausing and and sort of ignoring the pressures that uh that i guess most of us are feeling you 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 arguing you weren't feeling that but ignoring those pressures and you know and making your own decision and then 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 moving in another direction
1: yeah good question um in that moment, it was like, and I even had, when I later got diagnosed, You know, I was asked like, why did you wait so long to get vaccinated? And I was like, because I wasn't sure. And I was really on the fence, because overall I was like, nah, I'm a data guy and there just wasn't enough data. And I didn't like the way that the the media was playing. And I go, cause we can scratch that. And I was like, something, it just didn't feel right. And as I kept thinking about it, I think what got to me was started a new company, Wanted to be able to go, be in person, make this thing happen, and there were some states, New York being one, Boston at that point was starting to tighten up, and so it looked like things were going to happen to be able to do that. I, like, I need to be able to go to these, and a lot of people, especially on the art side of things, so like within music and things like that, uh, were on a certain side of the fence, and there was actually a lot of people that didn't know up until that point that I wasn't vaccinated yet. Um, and so it was a whole thing. And I think I, what made me crack under that pressure was me just not wanting to have to feel the pressure anymore. Like, okay, I'm just going to go get this done. And it's back to business. Let's get to work. Let's move forward. That was sort of my mentality with it. So, uh, so Jim,
0: Jimmy, the reason I want to explore this with you is uh, we here at Bootcamp believe that the most important uh, diagnostic tool that's available to people on the journey is your onboard system, right? We have this onboard diagnostic system, you know, we use that metaphor from the, you know, the vehicle onboard diagnostic system, and we really know our bodies the best. Um, and good doctors, uh, you know, we've done a couple of interviews, interviews with very enlightened doctors, recognize that the most important data that they can use to help us to get through this journey is to ask us, tell them what our body is telling us right our emotions are signals our gut is a signal and you're a very intuitive guy clearly and you had you know you 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 were also very secure and you're a guy who was emotionally healthy so despite having you know this sort of um, you know this sort of um, you know this mindset and this uh, this confidence and 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 a gut that would talk to you you ultimately you ultimately yielded to the Social pressures, or maybe the, the 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 professional pressures that that caused you not to follow your gut.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was a strange thing. It was definitely a mix of the professional pressure and not wanting to sort of deal with it anymore. If that makes sense, I was like, oh, if I just go get this done, it's not even a thought. I don't like. I, I just wanted to be like move it forward. And then within my personal life, thinking about because I was at that time only spending time with the girl I was seeing and very few other people because of the state of the world of that moment, which sometimes it's hard to like remember what was going on then, where it was like, oh, I was only seeing like a few people and I was the only one not vaccinated. There was no pressure on me from those people, but I knew, and I did not know how to relate that at that point. Um, So there was definitely a mix of that. Something to add as far as the gut, which was just a very strange thing that happened to me through this years prior, a friend of mine's girlfriend uh, had got Lyme disease and i had always read everything. I'm just, I'm a chronic reader and I was following different things. And whenever something would come up about Lyme, like I remember it came up on like a Tim Ferriss podcast and his journey with it. Anytime, anything Lyme came up, I would take it and I would send it to her. And I did this over maybe two or three years before getting sick myself. So for some reason I had sent my friend's girlfriend all of this information I would find online through it, which is funny in some ways. I don't know, depending on what people want to believe, it's almost your body shouting at you. <laughs> for hey. sure,
0: for sure, right? I mean, look, you know, we look when when you know, our our brain has a screening system, right? I mean, ninety nine point nine percent of the data that's available to our senses is screened out because our brain doesn't have the ca- the capacity to capture it, right? So when we are paying attention to something, when our reticular activation system is triggered and we are paying attention to something, that's because our our body is telling us that we need to have that information, right? So that I, I appreciate you sharing that with us, right? So again, you're an intuitive guy. You're somebody who's in tune in tune with his with his um with his uh with his body. Um, but of course, we can all we can all um you know, we can all at some point be pressured into ignoring that, right? And that's one of the things we see regularly when When doctors are invalidating us, or family members are invalidating us when we go on this journey, right? In many cases, it separates us from ourselves, and I do want to talk to you about that. We, you do have that a part of your journey, but so now, so now you ignore you ignore your gut, you ignore your intuition, you now go forward and you take this vaccine, and now you crash, right? And and it seems like it happened pretty quickly. So why don't you build that out for us about what the what the timeline was between when you took the vaccine. Sure. And when your symptoms began and, and, and build out how all of the symptoms uh, developed and how it was impacting you both personally and professionally.
1: Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so I get the vaccine and then I think it was somewhere within seven to eight days, I started to get, like, I just felt a little sick, you could say. And then all of a sudden I'm achy? waking. Yeah. Like a uh, flu-like achy, let's say, just subtly. And that that starts happening. And I noticed like when I was feeling not so great and I talked to the girl I was seeing at the time and I was like, I was going over to her place. And I remember she had like this book about uh, people's birthdays and significance and she just had it out and I went to read it. And in my own head, I'm going, this is something's wrong. And I remember just thinking that like I was just having trouble. I'm looking at the page, but it's not coming through. Uh, and I just remember noting that. So that was like, I don't know, a week out. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, I'm waking up and my limbs on my right side are numb. And I went to the ER like twice for potential, like I thought I was having a stroke because I was having trouble with words, trouble speaking. And then numb limbs started. Um, and then it just kept going from there. Then I had my first ever ocular migraine, which, so I got the whole thing with the visual, uh and I was like, okay, I thought it was it. I'm like, I was in the shower when it happened. I'm like, pretty sure I'm dying. <laughs> Didn't know what was going on. So I had that happen. Um and then from there it just kept getting worse, especially um the, the memory stuff. It's just it was thing after thing, and then it would stop. Like none of it made sense. Um we'd go to dinner, let's say, and then I'd be putting my head down on the table, which is very unlike me the fatigue, it would just hit. And then all of a sudden we had all these things and, you know, started off by going to the ER to get checked for a stroke and then started down that path of like, okay, go to my primary care. Um, And one of the hard things through this is no one would talk vaccine with me. No one, like wouldn't even discuss it. My primary care a little bit, but his words were also the minute we can get a different diagnosis for what's going on here, you got to promise me you'll take the second shot. And I was like, no, (laughs) like what there's clearly something wrong. Uh, So that was a battle as well. Getting even in the ER, it just wasn't, I was like, well, I just got this shot X amount of days ago or a week ago. And just the discussion wasn't even on the, uh, the table.
0: Right. And, and, and of course, none of us were allowed to have a conversation about this, even on social media, because we'd be blocked on social media if we did. Yep. There were many there were many Lyme accounts that were shut down because uh, folks were talking about uh, vaccines. Wow. Um, but what what I'm intrigued about is, again, you're in the Lyme belt, right? Uh, yep. You've been there your whole life. You're now going to see doctors. And and I can tell you one of the things that's in the minds of all the people who are listening to this is, hey, Jimmy, you sounded very lyme Right. That's that's what we hear all the time when people give this outline of symptoms that are very much like the outline you've just given. And my reaction would be if, you know, if we were not having this conversation in the context of 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 a, of a vaccine experience, or even if we were, my thought would automatically be, you sound really like
1: yeah.
0: your doctors. Um, you know, where you're describing fatigue, you're you're describing migrating symptoms, you're 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 describing um Neurological symptoms that you've never had before, including limb paralysis and ocular uh, migraines and, and an inability to process uh, words when you were reading. I mean, again, you have all these very, very classic Lyme disease symptoms. Did any of the doctors who said they didn't want to connect this to the vaccine anyway suggest that perhaps you should be tested for Lyme disease or or medical you know, one- diagnosis?
1: yeah so pre-diagnosis and it was in the er one of the times i went it was i want to say it wasn't the resident or attending but maybe someone that was following them around or assisting just asked have you been bitten by a tick recently okay i said no but i never forgot that he asked that and it just it's funny i look at almost like a blessing and a curse that was pseudo ignored at that time frame but I'm almost glad it was as I learned later on because I know what they would have done. They would have done one type of Lyme test, right? But it also could have helped. I got lucky where I got diagnosed six months into crashing, um, which I thought was lucky. It was still after 12 doctors, including a bunch of specialists, like I, I'd already had, you know, two MRIs done through the neurologist and EEG, tons of blood work. Um, but it was also interesting throughout the blood work, we never checked for that, um, but there was one person uh, who did mention it, and so they were on to something uh, in the ER.
0: Okay, so let's talk about that. So we've been talking a little bit about your onboard diagnostic system, uh, yeah. which we can call your gut or however else we we, we we want to describe that. I'll let you describe it yourself. Yeah. Um, and you and you have a very specific memory of, of a doctor asking if you had gotten bitten by a tick lately. Now, uh, first, uh, I want to ask you, did the doctor say, had you ever been bitten by tick? Um, is this something Never. that's happened before? They say, did you just get bitten just before? And, and the second part of my question is, what was your gut telling you when that doctor asked you about the tick bite?
1: It's a good question. Uh, I think at the time, I, that doctor in particular didn't have my attention. People were There were maybe three or four people in the room looking at me, assessing things. And they were just kind of throwing questions. They were doing a neuro exam in the ER at that time. I just didn't think much about it. I also didn't know that the the tick could cause neurological symptoms at that point. So there wasn't like a further thing uh, where I didn't have enough knowledge. And also at the same point, enough knowledge wasn't presented of, hey, these are Lyme-like symptoms.
0: Yeah, but, but Jimmy, I'm not asking you what you cognitively thought. Okay, right? yeah, so I'm asking solution. you what your what your subconscious mind was telling you. What what was your gut telling you when that doctor said, "Hey, were you bitten by a tick anytime recently?"
1: Got it. In the moment, nothing. I just took note of it. So I guess my gut said, "We're going to take note of that." Later on, there was a reason I held on to it, and it maybe part of me was trying to point that out, but I wasn't uh, aware enough of that part of myself to hear it because it, I was like, Oh, that one doctor, the the first, the first ER visit asked. Interesting. Okay. Wow. And, but in the moment, uh, I didn't pay much attention to it. I recognized it. So there was something there, but I overall didn't choose to go down that path. And I also think I was, emotionally dealing with, hey, I got this vaccine under a week ago or whatever it had been. Um, or at that point, maybe because the symptoms started, I think maybe I held it for a month before going to the ER. Um, but once I was there, I was much more concerned about like, what do we know uh, about it? And the COVID thing, everyone was saying that you could get COVID with, with no symptoms or this long COVID thing, I think was just beginning to be talked about. And it's like, could I have had it non-symptomatic? And so there was all these other things on the table um, that I think my, I guess we could say my ego or this other part of me was like, no, let's figure this part out, please.
0: (laughs) Okay. So the hyper focus on COVID, both by you, by society generally, and by doctors caused you not to focus on things you would focus on in the past, meaning... Lyme disease is something your your, your your body was telling you that you should be aware for a window of time when you were selling, sending things to a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, there was this doctor who at least saw enough of your symptoms that's, that caused him to think that you sounded lyme right? Mm-hmm. You are in the Lyme belt. Um, of course, the mistake the doctor made was believing that you could only have symptoms like this immediately after being bitten by a tick. And it couldn't be it couldn't be the result of your body harboring and managing these these microbes for a long time. And then it couldn't because of this vaccine that you had taken. So that was not even in that more enlightened doctor's perspective. Um, So the reason the reason even if your gut was talking to you that you were you were listening, you were not listening to is because cognitively you were focused on the crisis and and COVID.
1: Yep, that's fair. Yeah, that's. That's how it went. (laughs) Okay, That's when I started the journey of like, okay, let's go see every doctor and specialist that I can. Um, And then in the beginning, no one wanted to hear vaccine. It just, it it got shut down so fast. And at like the major hospitals here in Boston, i was seeing like, you know, neurologists and everybody else. It it was a non-conversation, which was, Also made it really hard because it's like, wait, I'm bringing this information to the table and then it couldn't even, we couldn't even discuss it there. And then this really interesting thing happened where a mentor of mine, I was talking to him and I was trying to go see a functional doctor to see if it would be different. And there was a place and it had like a four month wait to get an appointment. And I'm talking to uh, this great mentor of mine. His name is Brett Cerkowski in the, in the tech field. And I'm bringing, I randomly brought it up. I'm like, I'm kind of going through this thing. And it's, it's pretty scary. And I'm trying to get an appointment at the place. It was called the Rothfeld Center. And he goes, I have an appointment there uh, in two weeks, but I can't go to it. I'll figure out a way for you to take my appointment. And so I got an appointment way ahead and I walk in and uh, the woman I saw who was a nurse nurse practitioner, Beth Galan, I walk in, I explain everything. She goes, I'm going to bet, and this is before we did any testing. She goes, I'm going to bet that you've had Lyme in your system for a while, that you went you got a shot of this vaccine and then your body could no longer keep control over the Lyme. And sure enough you know we did uh, an hygienics test and i came back positive for Lyme and bartonella
0: all right so before we get into before we get into your your Lyme disease diagnosis i'd like to build out a little bit more about all the doctors that you saw so you said you saw 12 different doctors yeah during yeah. the course of the time that you saw 12 different doctors and we know we know that boston has some of the finest hospitals in the country so it's not like you were in some backwoods community hospital. You were going to some of the best, right? Um what uh what type of diagnoses were you getting? I mean, I understand that they were, they wouldn't talk to you about the vaccine because either they were politically um afraid to focus on the vaccine, or they just believed that you know that the vaccine could not create, you know, the kinds of uh, challenges that you had. So let's let's give them that. Um what were they diagnosing you with?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. So uh, one of the first neurologists was con- beyond convinced that I had congenital spinal stenosis because I was a preemie at birth. I was born at six months. And she was just like, no, this is definitely it. Let's go get you the, the MRIs. She's like, it makes sense for like all of these things that you're experiencing. And I was like, but it doesn't. And I would like point to the other symptoms and go, it does not cover these. It covers this thing. And she was just very convinced. Um, and of course, went, got MRIs done, and I did not have congenital spinal stenosis. Um, but then there was no more conversation beyond that, right? So I'll say this through working with all the different doctors. Um, Functional has definitely been better, but still one of the hardest within the 12 before is getting someone that, to be on your team. They want to do like this three-step process of hear what you're going through, diagnose you and then either refer you or prescribe you. Right. And I just kept running down that thing. And I was like, hold on, I'm, I have a data set. And it's funny. I would keep this timeline on my phone. And when I'd go to doctors or the hospital, a lot of them, would like, can I take a picture of that? Cause it's just, it's a timeline. It's literally every symptom I've experienced and everything I've done as I went. And I was like, here, here's everything you're gonna ask me in a nice neat bow um and some doctors are great with that they would take a photo they're like oh this is what we should do i'm like this is the only way i can do this like, i'm experiencing so much weird stuff it was it but it was interesting to me that even with that uh the lack of listening from the doctors uh was what was like really sad to me where was like i'm trying to conversate to get to some form of a solution or an understanding but they just kept trying to bring you on to a path which i understand this is their methodology from the school they went through right they're like no let's do this and it leads to here and they all kept trying to get me on that track or it was the um i just don't know which I, that was better to me some uh one of the doctors was like i'm pretty sure you have ms from what you're experiencing i was like okay and then they're like we'll, we'll do mris for that i said okay um so it's just that that over and over and over again
0: all right so so the, so the process that we that we see on this podcast all the time is we have doctors um, interrupting us um, within seven seconds of us walking into their office. In most cases, they have less than 15 minutes to to, uh, to serve us during any particular appointment. Mm-hmm. And even a very uh, organized um, you know tech geek like you who's walking in with his phone and giving them a timeline, was not giving them an, enough to do anything other than take a guess. And when their first guess is wrong based on some diagnostic testing they give you, they then, then move you on to another doctor. So it was sort of like this guessing game. And when they're wrong, they move you on Yep,
1: hundred percent. And it was, or sometimes I moved on because I was like, I was like, the conversation wasn't occurring. There's no room. I say this a lot now from being to a lot of doctors, if I don't see room for creativity, It's like, how are we going to solve the harder things? It's like, I understand how we go to A, B, to C, but if there's a gap in there and we need to learn how to jump it to get me well, you need someone that's going to kind of be with you and think around it. Um, And there was a lot of lack in creativity in that way.
0: Now, what you haven't talked with us about is where you were emotionally. You you are uh, you are an emotionally aware person. You've been in a therapeutic relationship since you're 19. Yeah. Uh, what impact was uh, was this illness and these symptoms having on you emotionally?
1: Yeah, good, really good question. It was hard because I wasn't used to having that much that many. I guess like I could always rely. I always took pretty good care of myself. So that was, if things were tough, kind of like I was saying, when COVID started and my company took a big hit and ended me half shutting that one down and raising, I didn't flinch because it was kind of like, if I had my house, I'm cool, I got this. I'll, I always figure things out. This was the first thing that was hitting me in a way where I was like, oh God, I need to figure this out because I can't do the other stuff now. So it was my first time kind of seeing that part of fear where it was like, I was starting to have trouble working. Thankfully, my co-founder, uh, his name is Josh Hoffmanson, amazing, was covering things. Um, my girlfriend at the time was coming with me to appointments. So that was helpful, but it was also difficult. And we can obviously talk about relationships, both uh, romantic and non. And uh, here's how I can say it. it. The relationship was better when pre-diagnosis, when it was a mystery things got hard when the diagnosis and we can, we can dive okay. into that.
0: Yeah. So, but, so, so let's bookmark that. Cause I do want to talk to you about it, but let's, yeah. so, so, so you, at least, at least your relationship was, was it was a new relationship and she was supportive while you were going through the diagnostic journey. Um, so again, give, it, give us give us, give us your, 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 mental state. Where, where were you emotionally uh, while you have doctors invalidating you You have, uh, you know, you have this new business that um, that is now, uh, you know, sort of uh, handed over to a, you know, to a co-founder, which, you know, he's only going to be able to, you know, manage things for so long. Um, You have this new relationship that you have to be concerned about. We're living we're living in the covid world and that was a nightmare. So where were you? Where were you emotionally?
1: Yeah. In that in that instance. I was still powering through. I was like, I'm figuring this out. I was, I guess, disappointed in what I saw in the medical field. Um, So I was sort of like taking that in, but overall I was sort of in, uh, I was in fight mode if we are gonna reference fight or flight in this scenario. I was fighting. I was like, I'm figuring this out. I will be fine. And that's where I, I was, but I was having the laws of like when the symptoms would get bad, like really bad, like um, if the fatigue would hit and I just couldn't do anything um, and that sort of stuff or trying to explain people, like I'd like disassociate and that was new for me. And I would be trying to explain people what was happening and I was starting to feel that they didn't understand. And obviously that got a lot worse. Um, But during this part, since it was sort of a mystery, there was something pre-diagnosis and since it was a shorter window, uh, where I was still fighting. If that had kept lasting, I, that would have been, I hear so many stories of the people that go through that. I'm very grateful that I did not because um, mine was just six months from when it really hit two diagnosis.
0: Um, which is which is very rare and you were very, very lucky.
1: Yeah, I feel super lucky. But that I think that's also, we can relate that to where the fight thing. I was booking every doctor's appointment i was i was going everywhere doing everything reading everything i had doubled down i was like i will figure this out um and i think that helped it was because that was my response to it i was like this can't continue (laughs) like and that's and then i got lucky um or whatever spiritual context we want to use catch up with a mentor mention the place i'm on this wait list that was gonna i would waited another four months just to be seen um to get in there and then i get in there and
0: they knew. yeah so so jimmy look i i i again and i probably shouldn't use the word luck because i don't believe there is such a thing as luck i think we can create our own luck but yeah, you know, yeah. we you know one of the things that albert einstein taught was that the most important decision that we can make in life is to believe that that the universe is either a, a friendly place or it's a hostile place right mm-hmm. and if you see the universe if you are if you choose to make the decision to believe as einstein argued that the that the world is a friendly universe our universe is a friendly universe and that the universe is working for you then you can see that there is no coincidence right you there was no coincidence you get in touch with your mentor your mentor has an appointment your mentor can't make the appointment you get the appointment and you get diagnosed now again that's not a coincidence that is that is the universe working for you and because the universe worked for you you were able to get a, a, an early diagnosis right we know the longer it takes for somebody to be diagnosed and the longer you're suffering under the you know the 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 polymicrobial infection that Lyme disease is the longer your re- your recovery and the more difficult your recovery right so the universe is working for you and because the universe is working for you you get to sort out of this this quick diagnosis but let's let's talk again a little bit more about about this piece of your emotions um sure. You're in fight or flight, right? And and we know that you know the brain can only be in one state at a time. Yeah. Uh, you're either going to be in rest or digest or fight or flight. And you're now in constant fight or flight, right? Yeah. And the downside to being sick. in constant fight or flight is it's immunosuppressive. So right. are you getting sicker? And, yeah. and 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 do you believe that you were getting sicker because you were in this fight or flight mode?
1: Yeah, I think I do. I think I was getting sicker because Cause the, when, when you stop seeing the answers, right? Like uh, I just do the MRIs. Okay. Nothing really there. Okay. Just did this blood work. Nothing really there. All right. Just got my eyes looked at because of the ocular migraine thing and seeing if, if there's potentially something, no, nope, nothing there. When you start getting all of that, but internally you're like, wait a minute, I pick up a book and I can't read, can't recall words. I wake up with my legs numb and you're just like, I can't do these things. Um, That got scary. And yeah, I was in that fight thing. I started playing drums a lot more because I was so scared that that was going to go. And I realized pre-diagnosis, there were two things that I was like, I would feel better, even though I had crashed. It was like my thresholds changed. If I played drums, especially if I was reading music, though difficult because of what I was experiencing, something felt better like it was moving like okay and then i would get like a window same with if i worked out my threshold had pretty much fell to nothing where i usually had super high stamina the whole deal and then i'd go do like three pull-ups and i'd be in fetal position at the gym with people going are you okay it just crashed but even after those three pull-ups something felt better um
0: Right, because because movement movement is important for detoxing, right? And detoxing is important for your body not to be toxic while it's going through this process of trying to kill off these germs. So that's why movement is important. But of course, we want it to be gentle movement, certainly certainly at that stage, uh, you know, in your battle. So so Jim, let let, us explore a little bit more about this this uh, this invalidating process that you were going through with your doctors, right? And and I think I I think there's two things. If I can make this observation, I think two things that that we're working for you. And that is because you were blessed as a young person to learn about the importance of, of, uh, of your mental health. Mm-hmm. And you were in a supportive environment. Mm-hmm. So you, you started this process in an emotionally healthy place, as opposed to so many people that are either, not aware of their mental health and i can tell you i was not until a much older person mm-hmm. um, or they were not you know they were not in a place where they had a supportive environment and supportive people who could help them through these emotional challenges you're were, you were able to stay emotionally flexible during the invalidating process of seeing 12 different doctors who said you had everything or nothing and you know and just kept the, either moving you on or 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 you know, treating you poorly enough for you to move yourself on because you had that emotional flexibility, you were able to continue to pivot. Whereas in, in many cases, what happens is people just get frozen, right? Because when you're in fight or flight, it's fight, flight, freeze, faint, fawn, most of which are you, you can't move at least when you were in the fighting element of fight or flight, at least you were able to continue to move so that you could finally get to the place with the universe would give you the opportunity to be diagnosed but if you're frozen no matter how friendly the universe is you can't take any steps so talk about how the importance of you having this strong emotional foundation so that you could have the the emotional resilience to keep moving forward despite um the invalidation of uh, of your 12 doctor journey
1: sure so i think there's two key things with this uh The less obvious one, I think, was my my work history, either making a career in music entrepreneurship, you deal with so much like weird rejection or like hurdles. So I was pretty comfortable with it. And same with like financial quick changes and having to figure things out that that style of stress over time, it doesn't exist anymore. You've worked your way through it. So that was like an odd preparation for this in a big way. And then teamed with having therapy for so long and I got really lucky where I've had the same therapist for so long we have a, a good connection and work in progress where there was this other person in the medical field who knew me and knew what was normal and she saw me every week you know and even through COVID I was really lucky where she was still willing and we took precautions but she was still willing to see me in person so there was this other person who did validate everything I was going through because she watched me from the whole thing. And that was amazing. So then let's say I went to some doctor's appointments and it was rough. And then I'd go to my weekly appointment with her. She, she would understand my frustration because she also had witnessed the changes that I've been right in front of her. So that, that consistency for me I think was everything. And it would be so easy not to see, but it's quite obvious one of the bigger things that had been getting me through that or that maybe made that a little bit easier.
0: So, Jim, one of the things we recommend to folks is that they do build a team. Right. And of course, we are we are the owner of that team. It's our body. It's our health. But we build a team. One of the things you had said earlier was you were frustrated with the doctors that you had seen because you couldn't build a team. But fortunately for you, you already had at least one of the most important elements of the team, which is a mental health professional as well as a physical health professional, right? And, and so many people go on this journey and they and, and they don't get to the point where they're working with a mental health professional until much later. And again, you just had the good fortune of, of having a mental health professional on your team. So you weren't alone. You had a team already. And now it was just bringing the physical health professional onto the team but you, you, it was really frustrating for you. You couldn't build the physical health team.
1: Yeah, and to backtrack just slightly, one of the greatest things my therapist did before all of this is she actually said, "Hey, I think it was maybe when I turned thirty or maybe thirty-five, somewhere in there." She goes, "Hey, you should really have a, a little medical team together." This is like before all, and she was like, "Because at the time, I don't think I'd seen a, a primary care in a while," and she was like, "You should probably get that back going." She's like, "Stay on top of things." um you know sexually hormones the whole thing she's like get a urologist because when you need him you're going to want to know him more and i was like wow great advice and so i did have some of that which was great um but just barely but it was like that advice years earlier definitely paid off and she's like the pillar of that um so i give her a lot of credit in seeing it but when it came to this no building a team that was actually going to look at blood work, expo- like it was one and done. Oh, MRIs, nope, sorry, see ya. Or I go and I'm like, oh, this person's not, he doesn't even care, <laughs> I'm out.
0: <laughs> so Jim, another thing that I do wanna share with our listeners as from the standpoint of modeling you and the successes that you had even before you were diagnosed is that in, in so many cases when doctors are invalidating us, we just wanna step out of the system, right? We, we, we wanna reject the system and we don't wanna work with doctors. And, you know, one of the things that I think, you know, we sort of have some debate about whether or not it's good or bad, depending on the references, many people say, you know, you need to become your own doctor. And I don't really like that phrase. I like the phrase that you're the owner of your team, you're the owner of your body, you're the person that is directing the team, but you really need doctors on your team, you need trained professionals to help you to evaluate the various frameworks that are available for diagnosing and treating your illness. So give me your reaction to you know the importance of having this this team concept and 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 continuing to work with medical professionals even though you are failed by so many of them.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Cause I, I did for a while start using the phrase you gotta be your own doctor. I also changed it because I was like, okay, that doesn't make full sense but I started changing it in a similar way where I was like, I'm now responsible for these doctors and what they provide and what my expectations, it looked like running a company. Yeah. This work per, for you. Yeah, It's like this person's job is to monitor my hormones. And I know I got to stay on me to do blood work every six months and do X, Y, and Z. This person's job is right. And we just kept going through it. So, I would say the big thing is find people that you do have a human connection with that never fails. Even if they, even if you have to stay on them, if you feel connected and it's emotionally good, it's going to be good. It will be better than the person that's great at what they do, but ignores you.
0: But well, let's talk about what that means, right? Because really what you, when you're saying that, and, and, and tell me if I'm right about this, but yes. what I think I'm hearing is you're saying when you feel emotionally connected to someone, you're, onboard diagnostic system is telling you that this is a person that works for you and works should be on your team and somebody that you should work with and that's really sort of not the cognitive decision it is really the emotional support for working with that person and leaving that person on your team so that they can serve you properly
1: yes absolutely and i'll add to that something that i didn't know was important i read this book uh headache in the pelvis, because I had a tight pelvic floor. This is just pretty, which also could have been like a Lyme type symptom. Um, Once I got through, it's so funny when you reflect back and you go, wait, (laughs) but in the book, part of it, they talk about in, in show some examples of what a doctor says to you and how it affects some of your systems. It became something that I really now look at and I go, how does this doctor use their words when discussing things with me? Are they mindful of how it's affecting the because when you're in a fight or flight you're so so much more suggestible and so that's the other thing so i know if i have that emotional connection and that this person's being conscious of how they speak within the context uh that that's why that is also a big thing um even though they say oh bedside manner isn't probably it's a bedside manner is kind of number one because it's going to emotionally affect you period unless they're doing something that's strictly mechanical but even then i'd make an argument but more so.
0: So, Jimmy, before you're diagnosed, you're you're so sick you can't work anymore, right? I mean, your job becomes your job becomes figuring out what's wrong with you and trying to figure out how to get better, right?
1: Yeah, I get to this point, and this was heartbreaking for me. I would be in meetings, like on a Zoom meeting, and I would forget what we were doing, like mid thing, and I would uh, usually talk to my co-founder Josh before, but hey, man, I'm feeling out. If you see that I'm lost please dive in or I'd get hit with fatigue and just have to cancel and he'd be running the show. Yeah. My life became figuring out, I was trying to do two things at that period, maintain a romantic relationship and figure while going through this sort of weird thing, hoping that it was going to be figured out. And then it's operation, figure out what's wrong with me.
0: So, You, you, you have, uh, you know. I think foreshadowed that your romantic relationship did not make you through this journey. No. (laughs) So, but you said that you said that she was she was very good pre diagnosis. So, talk to us about what the challenges were that you were dealing with in your intimate relationship, uh, and 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 then talk to us about your now diagnosis and how that negatively impacted your your intimate relationship.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So during the whole process of figuring out um, the relationship was difficult because of what I was going through, but it was good. I felt supported when the diagnosis happened, everything started to change, I'd say kind of rapidly. Um, And it's something that I didn't realize even right away. I think so many people hear, oh, Lyme disease and now you're on antibiotics. You're going to be fine. And that was my attitude. But it didn't mean that the process was uh, – it didn't mean that I still wasn't going to experience symptoms. It didn't – like there was just so much more to figure out. And I think, you know, not just my romantic relationship at the time, but my relationships with my friends. Like due to what people think about, like I had a lot of, oh, you're lucky it wasn't – you're lucky it's not cancer. It's great news that it's Lyme. And it's like when you go through it, it's a really interesting thing not that one's higher or better than the other but it's like it's funny how often i heard that from different people where it's like oh you've definitely never experienced this um because it's just a different animal right and yeah it, it was it affected all my relationships and they all got more difficult with the diagnosis i think because of the lack of understanding um and I think if you're, you know, whoever you're with romantically or whoever's close to you in your life doesn't do a fair amount of reading of all the different symptoms. Because there were things I was experiencing I didn't know, like Bartonella rage or like night sweats. Like I did not know. I just thought things were or like my nervous system became so hypersensitive where if I would sleep with my girlfriend at the times at her place in her bed, she used a particular uh, detergent. And for me, it was like listening to a loud radio. Couldn't sleep. And it was just from that. It was like having to talk about that. And it was new. So the expressing, like, oh, I'm experiencing this thing and I'm not crazy. (laughs) Um, And I think people wear thin if they don't understand that piece of it.
0: So if you were to step into your then uh, partner's shoes, Mm -hmm. um, what do you think caused the rapid Dissolution of your relationship. Do you think she just thought this was something that she couldn't say, Stay signed up for because it was just too much for her. Do you think she was? Uh, did she respond to you know you maybe having some rage and 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 uh, do you think she thought maybe you were you know just um, you were off because you had so many migrating symptoms and you there were so many things going on.
1: Good question. I think over time the as the world was getting back to normal. And since I wasn't back to normal yet, I think that was probably really hard. And I also understand that. Like, I don't uh, completely fault her for that that piece of it, for the, the lack of uh, understanding what I was really going through. Because I didn't fully understand what I was going through. Not to give her an out, but I think that's why that this sort of thing becomes common. right? And this was at a strange time. We'd just gone through this whole COVID thing. And then things are starting to open back up again. And, you know, even towards the end, I was finishing antibiotic treatment, but I was getting really sick still from uh, Hertz reactions. Uh, Just overall, I think taking antibiotics for five months and the ones I was on were pretty heavy. And then I was taking antifungals because I was getting candida infections up my throat, right? So I was going through all of that still, which was still messing me up. (laughs) Um, And it was like, right at that point, uh, she would start to travel more. And I think was trying to like have a normal life. I think that's what she craved, uh, more than anything. And I I understand that, but it was just, that's uh, difficult. Let's say.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so you get diagnosed, right. And you take the hygienics test, which most people think is the gold standard test in this community. And you test positive for Lyme and Bartonella. Um, Did you test positive for more than one strain of Lyme or was it just one strain of Lyme? And were there any other co-infections?
1: Yep. So just one strain of Lyme and the only co-infection was the Bartonella.
0: Okay. Now, when you were working with your doctors, were they testing you for anything else? Were they testing you for mold? Were they testing you for heavy metals? Were there any other types of testing going on? And did you test positive for any of those other, um, you know, for example, uh, mold illnesses?
1: Yeah. So we started to go down that, that whole entire road. And I did on one of the mold tests, I'm about to actually do a second one. That's more accurate. Um, And I did, I did test positive, but we've been going through sort of the whole piece by piece of call it the toxic load, right. Between the heavy metals, parasites. And I've done all the tests from, you know, the stool testing to all the blood work to the cortisol testing Um, and so we've been making our way through that. Um, and then the other part is I did go out to Idaho and I did limestop stop as well. And then, so some stuff came up from that as well.
0: Um, okay. So let's pause uh, before you get to Idaho and and LimeStop, stop, let's talk about everything you were doing with, with the doctors who had diagnosed you, um, and talk to us about whether or not, um, these doctors were, were, were covered by insurance and, and, and how much of the testing that you were doing with them was covered by insurance?
1: Great questions. Um, so this was with functional doctors. And almost like bits and pieces were covered by insurance. But overall, very minimal. Total on my health, uh, first year of sickness was about $30,000 out of pocket uh, with health. And I have health insurance, <laughs> Right. And so that was pretty alarming. Um, and it started off with five months of antibiotics that included, because of it doing what it did to my gut, uh, candida overgrowth in the throat, which I had to treat that like three or four times.
0: So Jimmy, let, let's say let's with the antibiotics for a minute, what antibiotics were you on? And were they all oral antibiotics? Or were you also on uh, uh, IV antibiotics?
1: Sure. So they were oral. Uh, it was clarithromycin and rifampin. Okay. And then at the same time as those, I was taking nystatin to initially help with the fungal, and then eventually was doing uh, fluconazole, both rinse and pills.
0: Okay. Now, when, when the doctors were preparing you to take the antibiotics to kill the bugs, mm-hmm. um, did the doctors prepare you? for the impact that this was gonna have on your body uh, by first talking to you about detoxification. Uh, did they talk to you about herxing and did they talk to you about uh, the impact that this may have on your gut and the and the overgrowth?
1: Yes, so we did a prep. We did, um, I was already taking probiotics, but we upped the ante on those and the quality of those quite a bit. And they started me on an antifungal prior um, to help with the overgrowth. Uh, I did not know about Herxing until I started to Herx and message the doctor, which was uh, not fun. I, I wish there was more info on that. Um, I would also have what I would refer to as like an emotional Herx reaction, especially with the antifungals. That became like, if I took fluconazole, it, it, I would just be like an emotional mess um, whenever I was on that.
0: So and then, describe, describe what your Herxine was like, your physical herxing, and then describe what your emotional herxing was like, and then talk to us about how you manage the different types of Herxes.
1: Sure. So overall, the Herxine I was experiencing on antibiotics would be like uh, flu body aches, if you will, um, and just like uh, more brain fog than the normal brain fog. Like it felt like things were just heightenedly worse in that way. If I was taking an antifungal, um for the candida overgrowth in the throat especially if it was fluconazole i would just like cry at random and had no idea why but it just seemed like emotional i didn't even know that could happen until i dove into some research and it was like people do have emotional reactions to large die-off uh and i definitely did and it's funny as i went through that process and really took a bigger handle on the candida post antibiotics uh, did not emotionally hurt, if you will, when taking Fluconazole as on the final kind of time out with them.
0: Uh, but Jimmy, it makes perfect sense that you would have an emotional hurts, right? Because what what's happening is your your emotions are the software, and your neurological system is the hardware, right? And if you have if you are using antibiotics that are crossing the blood brain barrier and getting into your getting into your neurological system, you would have an emotional reaction, right? So that's a, that's a software response, right? But it is hard to describe. And I mean, you know, one of the things that that I'm uh, sympathetic to when folks are talking about herxing and trying to come up with a description to help you with it is is that when I had suffered a tick bite a couple of years ago, I treated with Dr. Casey Kelly. Mm-hmm. One of the things she told me when I began my treatment was that I should be I should be aware of herxing. And actually on her portal, she has a whole description of what herxing is. But when I herxed, I still wasn't ready for it. I still didn't know what meant. <laughs> and, 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 you know, so it was. And so it's really difficult, which is why I always try to dig in on herxing so we can try to help folks to... You know to be prepared for that part of the journey it um, is, yeah it, it's just uh, hard to describe
1: yeah it's definitely different like even when i say like flu like body it's just like that doesn't quite prepare someone like i would get like uh i don't know if we call them like it almost would be like a mini seizure like my body would just shake it was doing something and i didn't really have control over it so sometimes it was just laying in bed and letting that happen um
0: so when you called your doctors and they and they shared with you what the Herxheimer reaction was, was that a signal to them that maybe they should be backing back, you know, backing off on the medication a little bit? I mean, what was happening when you were when you were talking about the herxing?
1: Yeah. So the first thing the first thing was like severity, like they're asking severity, like how bad? And I was like, I can live through it. <laughs> uh, that was sort of my attitude at the time. But I was like, what can help it? And that's when I learned about sauna use. Uh, and I just, I, I have a sauna here now, but prior to that, I bought a membership to a place that had infrared sauna and I just went three or four times a week and that was big. And then I found out a buddy of mine down the street, he had a sauna at his place. I was like, Hey, can I do it? He also had ice bath and I started to do those back to back and I had done ice baths prior and then it sort of stopped. And then it was, I was thankfully already well acquainted with it. And then so every week I was going to his place doing sauna and ice bath and then doing other sauna visits.
0: Um, so we, so let's talk about the, the saunas and the ice bath. There are a lot of folks who, um, who use sauna as a, as a detoxing tool. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, there are some folks in the community that are, that are heat sensitive. Matt, for example, my, my general co-host on this, on this podcast, uh, he, he could not use a sauna because he yep. was so heat intolerant. Uh, but for the folks who are not heat intolerant, it seems like it's a great detox tool. So how are you using it? And how were you combining it with the with the ice baths and why do you think they work well together?
1: Yeah. So I was going, let's say setting it at like 160, 170. And I was doing at that time 20 to 30 minutes. Wow. Take, and sometimes I break, but I was I have an issue. I'll push. And sometimes I probably pushed too much because if the next day I was toast that I was like, okay, this isn't working. So even now when I do it at home, I do like 20 minutes almost every day because I know where that kind of leaves me and I can keep my hydration in check. In the beginning, I was purposely pushing, but it probably was not the best idea. So to anyone listening or thinking about it, start slow and let the body sort of do its thing. Um, I was like, let's just sweat more.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, that- and look, I I think it's always a mistake to push too hard when you're on a Lyme disease journey, right? I mean, we, we, we have this, in, in many cases, we have this, you know, um, you know no pain, no gain yes. philosophy and this sort of suck it up mindset. And mm-hmm. actually what we find, Jimmy, is that the people who walk in with that mindset generally have a longer journey than the folks who are willing to listen to their body and back off, when they're not feeling well, what, what what's your reaction to that?
1: Yeah, you you put it really, really well, because in the beginning, I was like, let's push, let's get this done. It, I, I'm grateful that I slowly started to realize that it wasn't, that wasn't getting the job done. So I started to, okay, I'm going to back the sauna sessions to like 20 minutes, make sure that I really hydrate. And it was same with like the workouts, I made this agreement with myself, I was like, I'm going to show up to this gym. I'm part of a really great gym. It's a, it's called Shore sport fighting. And there's a bunch of guys there that do the MMA stuff super seriously. I'm not one of them, but I enjoy it. And I was like, I'm just going to show up every day. That was it. And I was like, I, it doesn't matter how short or long the workout is. I'm showing up every day and I'm doing, and the, the part of that was I'm going to listen to the body and, and that's it. So it wasn't push to push. It was ask yourself, body what do you need today and go do that um
0: yeah so movement movement is a very very important part of this journey as well right and we uh, we had we had a line hack last year from dr bill Rawls who said he walked himself to health right it was that gentle movement uh but it, it is movement nonetheless movement has to be a part of this experience um if, if, you, if you're going to get through it and, and, and you had again a, a strong foundation in that arena before you went on the journey
1: Yeah, uh, that is the biggest thing. People often ask me, they go, what's the biggest thing that got you through? I go, oh, going to the gym every day, period. Because it was, one, it made me mentally feel better that I showed up. It was, in two, community. And three, it is the physical movement. And I do walks in my neighborhood and stuff too. But something about showing up to the gym and I could see other guys working hard and I was like, I'll get back to that. Like, there was just this constant sort of dialogue internally with doing that um that was beyond key for me and i could vent because it was just a, a bunch of dudes who i know and uh especially my particular really close friend ryan who i've trained with for years he'd just be like you do not look well today and he'd be like i'm not well today be like, and we could just chat about it while i was working out
0: yeah yeah, yeah. It, it
1: was just nice where i felt very heard and yet was also celebrated for being there to do the
0: work yeah. So you 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 also had another important element of this is you had a community before, right? And 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 it wasn't wasn't necessarily a you know we, we have to you know, we we encourage folks to find models in the community to follow people who are who are in the community. But you got to be really careful with the community, and it shouldn't only be people in the Lyme community, right? It is important that we not. Take on that identity, and, it, and it's there nice to have that 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 other piece. So let's go. Let's come back to the uh, the ice baths, right? I mean, that's another thing that a lot of people in this community use. Julia Fagelman, for example, who's one of our followers. is really big on that. Um, Jen Hyla, uh, who leaned on me, and I started uh, doing cold showers every day. And I can tell you, when I first started doing the shower, <laughs> like having like five seconds of a cold shower sucked yeah now man. i'm now I'm at five minutes and and Jen has has articulated I think very powerfully the importance of 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 uh, of of cold and cold therapy and and so why don't you talk about that as part of your healing journey?
1: Yeah, so I was really lucky. I got into ice baths years and years ago because a buddy of mine would host like a a gathering for breath work and ice baths. and for me, it was just like, all right, this is fun. Um, and so I'd go do it, and then I got into it. And then it became a big part of the Lyme journey because my nervous system, the anxiety I was experiencing was so insane. Like there was even one time I was out I was to eat and I'm with the girl I'm seeing. She's like, oh, you're freaking out. We need to leave. I'm like, yeah, I'm like sweating. <laughs> and I was like, this is bad. And then I was like, okay, I know that the ice baths were good for the nervous system as a pseudo like reset. So I started to do that. And sure enough, Every time I did an ice bath, the rest of that day into the next, the nervous system just—I was less fight or flighty. It was—it was in a better place. It seemed like it was sort of recalibrating uh, itself, or even if it was just the placebo of feeling like I accomplished it. Right? I know that now there's backing that it's not, but at the time I didn't care what was causing it. I was just happy to have that thing. Going and I imagine it was lowering the inflammation levels as well. Um, so that became a a regular thing.
0: So Jim, I, I've seen on your social media that you put your head under the water too. Yeah. Did that did that have an impact on on how you felt when you were on the on the um, phase of your journey where you were trying to reset your nervous system by going into the into the ice bath?
1: Yeah, um that came more out of me pushing things a bit where I was like, what's it like to wear a snorkel and submerge the full deal? Like, is this better or not? Uh and I, I did it a few times. I didn't do it all the time. I always dumped. So I guess let me be clear about that. But I didn't always toss the snorkel in and sit under there for a while. Um that was more me just testing, going, what does this do? Does it do more uh for me?
0: But you, did, it, did it do more for you? Did you find that you had a, a longer period of time where you had uh, a more regulated nervous system and you were able to stay in the rest and digest state when you dunked your head or did it not matter?
1: Um, I would say I oh, I always was dunking my head and I think that definitely helped. I just didn't always use the snorkel and do the submersion of the head and the face. Um, so I wouldn't, I didn't do it enough to speak on if the snorkel made a huge difference but dunking was, for me, I would usually dunk as I got in and then dunk before I got out. That seemed to, for me, do something more.
0: How long did it take it before you could get accustomed to being in the cold water for a period of time? My experience has been that as time went on, my, you know, my body got used to turning off the pain signals Yeah. So so like when I first started going in in the cold water, it would be like torture. And then as time went on, my body got accustomed to turning off the pain signals. And now I could be in cold water and it doesn't bother me at all.
1: Yeah. It's like that threshold thing. Uh, The body, at least in my case, it's like, oh, we're here. Like at first it's saying, get out, get out, please get out. And then your body goes, oh, we're not getting out. Let's relax. And that seemed to happen. For me, my introduction to ice baths and cold exposure was through breath work. So doing that, and I was usually with like a group of guys and we were getting rowdy doing the breath work together. And so I had that support as well when I first started doing it again, uh, pre-sickness. And so I was used to getting the body hot from the breath before getting in. So it was sort of a different experience um, that made me
0: did did you use breath work while you were on your Lyme journey? Do you believe that was that was a, an important element of calming down your amygdala and taking you out of fight or flight?
1: Yeah, without question, I, I do. I still do a fifteen minute breath work r- routine every single morning. I do a a morning meditation, and then after the meditation, I do a breath work because what it does for my nervous system to start my day in that place, uh, both the meditation and the breath work, it's it's a, I can't not because it it it, it gives me a foundation. So like part of what I experienced through the Lyme journey was waking up different every day. And that was also easily one of the most difficult things. Like every day it's like I'd wake up and let's say I was full of anxiety just waking up and I'm like, oh, okay. Or, you know, you have a numb limb. Like you, I always had these things to sort of deal with. So I started to develop a routine that started with just the meditation and the breath work where I was like, okay, this will reset me no matter if I wake up good or not this is what we're doing now every day. Um, and that, that's been helpful. And I was lucky. I was a morning routine type person before all this wake up, do, you know, an eight minute thing of yoga, uh, or whatever. I always had some routine in the morning to set the day, but through this process, a meditation, a guided meditation, and then uh, a guided breath work.
0: So, um, what, what program or what software were you using for the guided meditation and what software or how were you being guided through your, your, your breath work?
1: Yeah, so for the meditations, I would instill always do either something by Dr. Joe Dispenza or by Dr. Brian Weiss, um, either or uh, for Brian Weiss has a great, like a healing walkthrough meditation that I always really liked. And, um, Dispenza, if you're familiar with any of his books, it was aligning for, you know, the better health through the, the quantum field, if you will. So just taking you there, um, in doing that work. And then for the breath work, it's a uh, Wim Hof, um, guided it's like 11 or 15 minutes, depending on if you're doing like uh, a beginner or intermediate or, or further on,
0: but okay. so So, now you did talk a little bit earlier about depersonalization uh and and can you define what depersonalization is and can you share with us whether or not your meditation practice um helped you with the depersonalization
1: absolutely so my experience with it the first when it first started happening i would tell people i was with i was like this feels like some sort of a drug because i just couldn't believe how weird i felt and when i would look into a mirror is when I would really go, okay, something is off. And I just didn't understand it. So it felt like being sort of out of the body, but aware of the body, but not connected to the body. It was just strange. Like looking at my hands felt weird is another thing that I would say to people. Like, What's it like? I'm like, imagine if you looked at your hands and it just didn't connect for you right away. That's how I And same with like in the mirror. Um, and I would be like that for like days at a time during this. And I just didn't, understand it until i'd have more days that would put me back in um meditation will sometimes do it for me better than that uh yoga and when i stepped up like doing sparring rounds doing like muay thai going light but with someone else and you have to like that would i remember walking in you know pretty depersonalized and i was like "Uh oh i was gonna let my sparring partner know. i'm like hey i'm not you know it's not going on today but as we went through a round or two i'm back i'd be back in the body and yoga almost the same exact thing not feeling right but all of a sudden let's say it's like it's hot you're breathing a certain way and i'm in uh meditation can do it but it can also sometimes leave me out (laughs) it just depends on how i enter the meditation let's say if i allow myself to not be hung up there, I guess is how I
0: would explain so it. So I want to build out the depersonalization a little bit more because we've had folks on this podcast say, uh, I mean, depersonalization is a very common issue with folks who are chronically ill with Lyme disease. It may be other chronic illnesses, I don't know, but it's certainly very common. And the way the way many people have described it is, is that it's essentially their spirit is coming out of their body and they're just dragging this body that's betraying them along. <laughs> Yeah. And that the only way that you can heal is if you get that spirit back into the body so that you're now, you know, one working together. And, um, and of course, in many cases, when folks are describing uh, the meditation practice, and obviously there's a whole... Diverse set of uh, of tools that you can use. Um, that what you're doing is you're sort of calming down how your body is betraying the spirit, and it's allowing the spirit to now be in, in communion with the body and in, in communion with, with the rest of the world. So talk to us about that sort of whole set of of, of experiences like you, where you literally leaving your body and almost like, you know, like uh like a Christmas carol looking down at, you know, that body and were you, did you have to get back into, you know, you get your spirit back in line and into your body before you could heal?
1: Yeah. So the best way I can describe it for me was I was like, uh, hanging out just on the fringes of my body. I think that's why mirrors always felt like I would always go to the mirror to know how bad it was because it would just take a second to connect. It was like, uh, you're you. And I remember like sort of having this inner dialogue. It's like, you're you, but you're seeing you right now. And, that is and the mirrors became a big thing with me where I, that's how, because if I felt a little off, I'd go, I'd be like, Oh, I know what's happening. Or I'd look at my hands and you just feel like you're sort of around you. So you're not like completely out and looking at least in my case, but just like around, but you can't get back in and you do feel like something is wrong. There's the, also I'll say that that's the, for me, whenever in that thing, that, that place, that depersonalization, it was like something always telling you, Hey, something's wrong. You need to pay attention to this, but yet you couldn't. Um,
0: but Jim, did 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 it feel like your spirit and your body were separating? Was that is that a fair description, or did you have a different experience? You
1: no, know, I would say that that's pretty fair. I just didn't feel like it was like fully out of me. It felt like it was uh, on the fringes. I guess would be the best way to so say
0: neither fully in or fully out.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Like not the. It was like. Um, uh, the connection wasn't perfect. Like it was disrupted, is like a, a, another way I would think about it. Uh, like there was also like a delay in the connection. Like when I, I'd always think when looking at the hands, I'd be like, oh, okay, something's wrong. Like I would just know when I was out because it could just sort of happen. Uh, and it was always for me, mirroring hands and just sort of how you'd feel, even like walking. Like, uh, yeah, so I guess that's where the spirit thing is. You feel more like you're walking with yourself than in yourself. But in non healthy way,
0: <laughs> right, right. And, and 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 did you likewise believe that you had to, you know, you had to bring the spirit back into the body so that the body could heal? And you know, you're talking about the Spenza. Let's Talk us a little bit about uh, the Spenza's teachings and how it's important for the spirit to be in the body, wholly in the body, so that you can heal and you can now use your spirit to tap into the larger. Um, the larger spiritual world to yeah. heal yourself
1: yeah Dispenza stuff I, again i feel like i was lucky with this i was reading it far before getting sick um, and feel really lucky because it was like i also was kind of mad i was like i really love this work and now i have a reason to use it like it sort of bummed me out it was just shit but it was also okay i've read the work i have a reason to use it this is this is a good thing um so i i was definitely in tune with the okay the key is to retrain the nervous system and get it thinking different things to feel different things so that you can change biochemically right and the only way to do that is if you are within yourself and communicating with that larger field if you will um so i started to take that to heart and i think that's part of from reading his stuff is why I was like, oh, I need to figure out what gets me back in my body. In um, therapy also, I'll add that. Doing the talk therapy sessions would, would do it. I could show up, just disassociated, depersonalized, what have you, and I could leave and go, oh. And I wouldn't even realize how it happened. So whatever we were talking about, or however she was guiding me, um, was working. We'd also sometimes do like a guided meditation or breath work in therapy um to help get me there but then yoga was the other one that i really noticed it and that becomes sort of meditative too in that same way and i'll say the same thing about as long as you're not sparring too hard the kickboxing thing you have a lot of trust in another person but it's that you're moving and you're doing movement in a fluid manner
0: yeah so it's a type of meditation or a type of yoga right it's
1: yeah There's something there and there's something cool about, I guess, having the partner in that as long as you trust them and can tell them where you're at that day and you have a mutual understanding uh, that can also be helpful. I feel to the process, or at least in my case, it's been, Uh, but I'll say you need to be extremely vocal.
0: (laughs) Right. So, so give us a little more detail on the yoga practice that you participated in and when did you start the yoga practice?
1: Okay. I started yoga when I was touring. So maybe I was like 20 or 21. And it was with yoga with Adrian on YouTube, where like in a hotel, let's say I needed something to like get the body going every morning. There wasn't always a gym and like push-ups and that was great. And then I found yoga and I was like, oh, this makes the body feel great. And I felt like I was performing better from it. So I'd always done sort of at-home yoga. And then through the years, I'll jump in like a yoga class here or there.
0: So now um, you've shared with us that you um, you had um, a spiritual practice, you yep. had an emotional practice, yep. you had now a medical practice um, where there seemed to have been ebbs and flows with you know your antibiotics helping you, but your antibiotics causing overgrowth issues. Let's go back to that piece of it. What other, um, uh, in addition to your 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 spiritual practice and your emotional practices and your emotional work, um, what other medical, um, what other medical interventions are you using other than what you've already described?
1: Yeah, so I tried Reiki for the first time through this process. What is that? Uh, how do I explain it? Energy healing. Uh, in my case, uh, the practitioner would touch me. And, and guide the energy and, and feel things. And at first, my first session, I was like, oh, I don't know. But then when I started going regularly, I was like, oh, this, this is doing more. Um, I usually feel well rested after. Um, and I, I started to go weekly for a while. I don't go weekly anymore, but I did a good lengthy period um, of doing it. It also helped my brain go, all right, you're gonna go here and heal. So it was just kind of, I felt that was like a big thing, knowing that every week I was going somewhere and I started to look at therapy the same way. Why am I going here? To heal. Why am I going here? To heal. So I created these things. Why do I go to the gym in the morning? To heal. Everything became about going to heal and then come back better versus I'm going to work out. I'm like, it wasn't the thing anymore. It was I was trying to make it more purpose, but um, Reiki was great. And I still go occasionally now. And I don't know exactly how it does what it does. Like, I have, a, I guess, a general understanding. Um, so,
0: so let's talk about the Electrum, right? Because one of the things that we, you know, we're beginning to explore here on Tech Bootcamp, Camp, um, and I'm actually wearing a Mickey, Uh I'm I'm beta testing a Mickey, Um And uh, and. Uh, you know, I've just sort of been recently intro- introduced to the electron. Right? We are energetic beings, right? We have an electron yep. um, and, and folks are certainly comfortable with a biome, but we're not really comfortable with an electron. And I recently interviewed Dr. Casey Kelly and I asked when she was in medical school, was there even ever, any discussion about the electron? And she said, absolutely none. Right. And she's using a lot of, um, you know, any energy tools now in, in her uh, medical practice. Um, so um how did Reiki help you? And I, got, I know you, you already said you, you, you had a, a rudimentary understanding, but talk about what it did to your Electrum and how you think that was an important part of your healing journey.
1: Yeah, I felt like it was uh, how do I create, either creating space or getting things in align, alignment to allow my body to do whatever it needed to do. That's how it, it felt to me, or even feels to me like when I go, it's like, oh, I don't know why I feel lighter, like I don't know the exact things, but I do. And then I would usually see over the next week or so that things felt a little bit better. And I was like, all right, so that was sort of me. I was like, all right, so I'll keep going, you know.
0: Uh, so you did you feel more centered? Like a, a lot of people, you know, because w- when you're when you're in fight or flight and you're and you and you're neurologically off, and you have a lot of neurological symptoms during your entire journey, right? Um, you know, we, we, we have to find different ways of, of resetting ourselves neurologically. And it looks like you were doing that with your, with your breath practice. You were doing that with your, with your, uh, your cold practice. You were doing some of that with your, with your sauna. Um, and, and you were also doing that with Reiki, that you were very sensitive or aware that you were off and your electron was off and you were using various tools to try to reset it so that you, you could be neurologically and emotionally healthy enough to allow your, your central nervous system not to interfere with your immune system.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It felt like, uh, leaving every, every time I went to, to Reiki, it felt like I had slept a bit. And I, I went through a good period of, uh, Lyme insomnia, which I wish upon nobody. And it felt like I was like making, like I was getting rest, also through that and it like aligning that. I don't know how that all aligned. I just don't know enough.
0: Yeah, but, but 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 it just seems to me that you were layering everything and that's why you were having so much success with this. You were layering your spiritual practices, you were layering your your um, you know, your uh, neurological practices, you were layering your spiritual practice. I mean, everything was being layered and you were, you, were, you were you were benefiting from using a number of different modalities at the same time.
1: Uh yeah. Without question. And I think, too, just for my own mental health at the time, that was also key because I felt like I had multiple irons in the fire. Not everything was pass or fail. It was is the dance working right or are the steps making sense. And as long as they were, I kept doing it and I had to be careful not to fall into the mental thing of, oh, if I miss this this day or this week it's i'm going to be sick because i sort of fell into it. it's crazy how this changed without me knowing it my ways of thinking and like maybe within that fight or flight the fear of being sicker because you know for at least for me it would come in waves i'd be good working on everything and then get sick for a few days and then be good but i changed nothing and i was like this doesn't make sense this makes no sense and thank god enough people told me hey uh it's non-linear Yeah, that that message, thankfully, if I didn't know that I would have been, it would have been way harder. Um, And still, don't get me wrong, I'm still like, we're still figuring out some little things, but through it, and I had some pretty dark moments too, like it wasn't all while doing this, like, great, it was like, progress, oh no, progress. Down again, progress, and that's just how it how it. But you mean
0: isn't that the lime journey? Like one of the things that we we've, we've been arguing to folks in our community is that um, that a lime journey is really like uh, a flight from New York to California, right? And, and yeah. what we know about flights from New York to California is that the average plane has to course correct 1,200 times, right? So it's really about not right or wrong. It's about course correcting based on what's happening in your journey. And part of the reason why you seem to have been able to do that so well and have a short journey is not only because you were diagnosed so quickly, but also because you were in a place where um, where you were able to course correct um, often and quickly Uh, without necessarily taking the plane down to the ground, right? Because that's really what happens when we, when we, um, you know, when we see that, 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 Gap between where we want to be and where we are, right? We we often get frozen, and we often get to the point where we believe we can't get better. So instead of course correcting, the plane now lands on and, and gets stuck for a long time, and we got to get that plane back up in the air so we can keep moving towards uh, towards the you know the the goal that we we set for ourselves.
1: Yeah, uh, the biggest thing for this because I would lose my way within that from a, a mentality perspective is my therapist did a really good job going, this has got this, she'd point to like one thing, she would go, this, this part of, has gotten a lot better. Did you notice that? And I'd be like, oh no, I did not. Because it was so slow. And she was like, we should look at that. And then we'd talk about it. And then all of a sudden I felt like I made progress that I, didn't, I wasn't even aware of. Right. And she did a really good job. Always, she's like, oh no, you're, she's like, let's compare now to two months ago. And she's like, and we'd walk through it. I go, holy shit, this is amazing. And I didn't know it because I still felt sick.
0: Yeah, no, and that's one of the reasons why some of our folks have argued that you should be uh, journaling so you can look back and see where you were because because so many of the gains are subtle, you don't notice them and you really need to reflect on where you were so that you can see you are making progress and not get, uh, you know, not burn out from, you know, the feeling that you're not getting any better.
1: Yeah. That is, I, that it's a must. Um, and I would even recommend if I don't, it doesn't matter if it's a therapist or whatever, if there's another person that they can consistently talk about where they are who's sort of keeping track for them. I just, that was so beneficial to me to have someone else pointed out.
0: Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, I, I have to tell you, I want to find who your therapist is so I can and go, go give a, a big therapeutic hug because I yeah. how is that person important on this journey? So oh. Now, I do want to get to lime stop, um, yeah, so, but before we get there, were there any other things that you treated for, including your, you said you tested positive for mold, um, how was that dealt with on, on your journey by your doctors?
1: Great question. Um, so we haven't done, since my symptoms got so much better, we first decided to treat the gut because of the damage from the antibiotics, and I'm just wrapping that we are then going to mold and i've done like the stool test and like all the other things and so we took care of full candida first to make sure that the gut is good there and now we're rebuilding the gut then from there we'll really dive into mold and i'm hoping that that will take any of the remaining issues um away how,
0: how did you deal with the candida and what are you doing to rebuild the gut
1: so with the candida, at the point it was at, I did a couple extra rounds of fluconazole, uh, which I wasn't psyched on, but it was good for me because I could also see the growth, no pun intended, in the sense of uh, not herxing, not having the okay. that sort of emotional herxing. I was like, oh, I felt nothing this time. What a great sign. It means that there's not that much die off to that point. Okay, that's good. Um, and then... On the, on the gut side, there's an herb, which it's, is it you? I forget the name of it. Um, I will try to think of it as we talk, but I'm taking a particular herb to help and also probiotics um, as well. I've always had a pretty healthy diet, uh, pretty much just always a whole food, anti-inflammatory type diet. Um, so that's aligned. And then there's an herb that I started, I've stopped and started a few different times called ABART. Um, particularly for the bartender, I just find it does it makes me feel better, um, even while even at the place I'm at. I don't think I'll take it forever, um, but
0: but it's, it's okay like, if you do,
1: right? Yeah, it helps me my sleep. Um, so there's just certain things with that that I still um, play with, and so yeah, so that's where we're at with rebuilding the gut, and then it will be into some deeper mold testing, and then. Uh, handling that it's cool to understand the toxic load piece and sort of where you might be. Um, Cause like I changed everything. I stopped drinking tap water and I sourced my water from a local spring where they get it third party tested and I can see everything. Um, I just started to go deeper on the toxic load piece and that emotionally too. Like what am I taking on there? Cause going through the breakup piece through this, that added a layer that I did not expect because like the breakup, uh, though not my decision at the time, but it felt like it was needed and healthy, but was not quite prepared for where it left the morning of a relationship while going on this. The the tie in from Lyme and emotional components is I, something I did not expect and would not have ex- expected, but there is no question after living it that those things all matter. Uh, within the journey.
0: Yeah, so one of the things that we we often deal with in on our social media is that folks get angry when we're overemphasizing the emotional piece. And the argument we sometimes hear is, well, when people have cancer, you don't tell them to focus on their emotions. Or when people have, you know, uh, another disease, they don't, and, you know, and, and one of the things that I think Dr. Carnahan argued to Matt this, this week, I, I was not a part of that podcast, was that because you know, this is a different disease. She went on both a cancer and a Lyme journey. And she said that, you know, cancer did not affect her neuro- neurologically or emotionally, whereas Lyme did, you know, and, and mold does. And, you know, and so some, you know, some illnesses have a neurological and an emotional component and some don't. And it doesn't mean, you know, it's in your head because, you know, it, you, you, know, you it, it just, Lyme is a nasty, nasty bug that affects every part of your body including your neurological and, and, and and your emotional software. And we have to deal with that. It's not saying it's in your head. It's saying that it's a, an element or a symptom of the disease. Yep.
1: Yeah. I looked at it like, you know, you could take every system of the body and I just looked at my threshold became less and not expecting the emotional piece and then realizing how absolutely important that was. Then I was able to express to people a little bit more, even though they didn't quite understand the Lyme thing. And it definitely changed a lot of my relationships. I was able to say like, Hey, emotional connection with people I care about is dramatically important in general. But when going through this, because of the changes in me that you can't see even more so, like I was able to kind of say that once I got through, like this was like post antibiotics, realizing
0: that. uh, Wow. Wow. That's uh, that's so, um, Anything else? I want to get the LimeStop stop now. Um, anything else that you did uh, in, in in your working with your uh, medical doctors that we haven't covered?
1: Uh, yeah. So the only thing that pre-lime stop, and this was from talking to lime stop the the folks there, I wasn't sweating at all. Like I was sweating in the sauna, but working out, no. Like just daily, never. So that my drainage pathways had sort of stopped working in that way. So they recommended for me to go get acupuncture with somebody who had worked with Lyme before to open up my drainage pathways, and I did. And, uh, and she's actually become a great friend of mine. Her name's Maddie. And I went to her, and first session I got sick after because it worked. <laughs> it opened me up, and not only did I start to sweat, I almost, it was almost like a mini Herx.
0: Wow. So, was- so tell us what I've never I've never you know, utilize acupuncture. I'm fascinated by it, but tell, yeah. tell me, give it, give, give us some more detail on it. So you, so you, you, you were, you were recommended to a particular type of practitioner yep. and what did that pra- practitioner do to prepare you? And then where did the needles go in and what did it feel like to have The needles give, give us all that.
1: Yeah. So uh, her and I talked about it. She's great. So I walked into her office my first time meeting her and she had my whole cause she, um she studied Chinese medicine. So she's had like, I think it's like my Chinese chart up, explained some things. We talked about Lyme disease. She, I did pre going in a whole intake form. So she knew everything I was dealing with. Uh, she knew that it was the recommendation to open up the drainage pathways. And so uh, she was like, we're going to start low and slow. And so we did just a few needles. And I think in that session, maybe it was like uh, one cup. So some cupping and She's like, I'm going to check in with you tomorrow or later today or both and see how you're feeling. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and so that's where we started and it had an effect. And as I kept going, I eventually stopped uh, feeling sick after, but the first like two sessions, cause I did it every week leading up to Lyme stop, which was maybe like six weeks. And it, it started sweating again. It was like amazing. It was just, it blew me away. How that works do i fully understand that no i mean enough from like reading and from the education i've got from her and the practice which is fantastic um but do i really understand fully what's happening uh with you know my physiology no but do i know that it has outcome absolutely okay and that's that's, <laughs> that's
0: the most important piece right so uh how did you find lines limestop and why did you decide to work with them
1: so I found them actually through listening to your podcast. Uh, you had a guest Kayla on, uh, who's great. And her and I have become friendly, and
0: she another tech Camp connection.
1: Yes, exactly. Where she did it, and once I heard that, I reached out to her about it, and she gave me more info on LimeStop. And I was like, "Well, I did the antibiotics, and that got me to here." I was like, "What do I got to lose?" and they were booking X amount of months out. And then, so I did their whole intake thing, whatnot, and then did the acupuncture to prep. And then I went, my good friend, Kristen, who has been just amazingly supportive through this came with me. And yeah, and I, I did LimeStop and it was it, it kind of mind-blowing how good, how, or how different it was like a week after. Uh, Also, caveat here, when I flew home, I got COVID for the first time. Oh, great. And I had to go to the hospital because I got COVID pneumonia. And I don't know if that was from like having the treatment. And then like, but yeah, it was, I clearly got sick while out there, then flew home thinking that I thought I was detoxing. Right. So I had all these symptoms. I'm like, wow, this is heavy. (laughs) And then we checked my temperature and it was really high and we called on something like, no, you shouldn't have a temperature. And I was getting on the flight home and yeah. And I basically went from the airport to the hospital and, uh, I spent a couple of days in the hospital with COVID pneumonia and I was worried. I was like, Oh no. And then I, reached out to them, of people, do you think this will affect treatment? What do you guys know? Have you seen this? And they're like, no, it shouldn't. You should still be good. And it it was great. Once I went through that and the, the COVID cleared up, um, I was like fine for like a few months. It wasn't even taking herbs. It was taking nothing. And things I was like, oh, this feels, everything felt really back to normal. And I'm supposed to go back for a second treatment. I just hadn't yet because I had been feeling so good. Um, so I might do maybe another two treatments back to back. But LimeStop was so thorough uh, they hear every word you say they, they just answer everything I just give them a lot of credit and for the price it's just to me unbelievable uh, what you get from it um, so I was uh, just super impressed even though I went through from that to being hospitalized with COVID for a couple of days
0: so what what is the Lime stop treatment what specifically what did they do when you were there
1: right so I went in and this is I hope not to butcher it Um, so it's like, they call it, I think, craniobiotic treatment and they're using magnets. And from my understanding, they're taking the magnets and they're alerting the immune system of where the tick-borne illness bacteria is hiding and escaping it. And they're also doing muscle testing. So let me, I guess, start there. When you first go in, they do muscle testing and they tell you what you have and where. So it could be, and that that's a, that includes things like mold and parasites, uh, not just Lyme. And they kind of go through this whole thing and you get all of this. And then you go in, in over two days, you do four or so treatments with the magnets. And then there's a supplement protocol you can do uh, with it as well.
0: So this again is treating your electron, right? We're there. Right. We're there. So describe for us what muscle testing is and, and then, um, tell us how you got the results was it was it was it a written report was it verbal how did how did that all come together yeah. so
1: when you go in to see the doctor they take your arm and they're literally feeling from like call it sensitivity how your muscle is reacting when they take a vial of whatever they're testing for and put it against your skin And so whatever they feel, so it's that practitioner's feel is what they're relying on. And they do give you a written sheet with everything they tested for, every vial they put against your skin, and if the muscle tested positive or negative to say that it was in the body.
0: What did you feel when the vial, one vial or another was being put against your skin? Could you feel the difference?
1: With some things, yes. It was also... really, really quick, but you could sort of feel because you're just putting the same amount of pressure on your arm, let's say. And when you felt the pressure change, you're like, oh, my body just reacted. I didn't do that. <laughs> so some of them, yeah, some of them, no. Um, but yeah, that was the process and the magnets at first. Uh, I I feel, felt like I could feel them because they're putting these magnets on your head and then on the other parts of your body. And it's sort of like tracing Um, from what they found in the muscle testing to where it would be. Um, Again, I have a very light understanding, uh, worth for anyone listening to just dig deeper uh, and ask, reach out to them, ask all the questions that you have. Uh, For me, it was one of those things I was like, I did antibiotics, which I feel 50-50 on. I feel like I probably needed to do it, but it also did a lot of harm Um, and I feel that too. So would I do it again? Probably. Would I also maybe have done it shorter? Probably. It's, it's, it's tough. It's such a hard thing at the moment because you just want to get well. Um, but I will say it, antibiotics definitely move the needle without question. Recovery from it difficult for me personally, um, doing all the other modalities, so to speak, helped a lot. And then drastic difference when I did limestone.
0: Okay. Now do you think, The drastic difference that you had with Lyme stop, and we always have to be careful with a recency bias, right? I mean, in many cases on this podcast, we have people come on and say, I know how to solve Lyme disease because when I did X, I got better. And we're like, well, let's pause there, right? Because, you know, just because the last thing you did helped you to get over a threshold where you're feeling much better, doesn't mean that every other modality that you use up to that point didn't play a role in getting you to that point, which now allowed you to have success. So where would you be on the limestop piece? Do you think that's something you should have done earlier? Or do you think you did it just at the right time in combination with all the other things you were doing up until that point?
1: Yeah, I'm going to guess I just did it at the right time because I think to exactly what you're saying, it's the sum of the parts. I, I think it's one of the best things and worst things about the journey of this you got to do a lot of different things. This is just my personal opinion. You got to do a lot of different things that you will be sort of guided to and away from to to get this job done until something else presents itself. And that includes the emotional work, it appears as well, which is like, you know, I got asked by my functional doctor and the Limestop folks about like, you know, any past emotional anything. And I was like, well, thankfully, I've been working on this for a long time in therapy and doing things like yoga. And they're like, oh, great. I I felt really ahead and really lucky that I had already had that foundation in a lot of ways because I can, there's too much, the emotional piece is too overlooked. But uh, to answer the question, I think it's the sum of its parts and the timing sort of works on itself, uh, which sometimes is a hard pill to swallow, but you kind of take the ups and downs with it.
0: Yeah. So, So. but, you know, again, I, I, I know a lot of people think, you know, these kinds of conversations of woo, woo but I don't, I, I, I think, I think, I think you've had line for a good portion of your entire life. I think your body was getting you ready for this. I think there were many things that you're describing as luck and, and, uh, and I don't describe as luck. I think it was your body getting ready for this battle. And when it came, uh, when it came, all of these things came together for you. Some of it had to do with you having an interest in line. Some of it having to do with you, you know, be, having a, you know, a, a, having built a team. Some of it has to do with you learning about the Spencer. And you were saying that, you know, you know, I, I, oh, it sucks that I have to. It really, it really didn't suck. It was your body getting you ready. And you had all these pieces and you're an intuitive guy and just sort of allowed this guidance to take place. So the time came that you had this, this va- this vaccine overwhelm of your immune system and the Lyme took off, you had all the pieces in place so that you can have a short diagnosis and a relatively short treatment journey. That's not to say, I don't want to devalue that, but sure. relative to, you know, in some cases people going through years are still not getting there. Um, you know, this yeah. has been a wonderful, a wonderful model. So
1: can we talk about that for a second? Because please, I've talked to some folks, like I have a friend and he also has Lyme and Bartonella, and he didn't get diagnosed for years. And we talked about him, and I've talked to some other folks in a similar thing, and their symptoms were like slow, right? And at least in the people that I talked to, where they, oh, I'm fatigued, and me, it was such, in a, I got everything in a very short period of time versus the people I talked to. And I thought that was just interesting. And I don't know if that had to do with the way the vaccine played in the role, but from my understanding, from a lot of people I've talked to, no one that I've talked to has had the amount of symptoms in the short period of time all arise. With your guests, do you see what I went through in a similar? In a, in we a, do.
0: We do. So ge- generally, generally we see people falling into two camps. We, we do have this slow progression uh, to chronic illness in some cases, yep. in some, in some cases we have, uh, we have a, an event like a vaccine or a you know a a a powerful emotional event, a death in the family, a you know a a you know a really a job loss, or you know some really painful uh, emotional experience, which causes a crash and a quick development of symptoms toward chronic illness. So we've seen both patterns, um, you know, and uh, and and vaccines in many cases. Quite frankly, again, I don't want to seem anti-vax. I'm not, but vaccines in many cases. Are, are very much like yours and not just yours. Gardasil and other types of, uh, of of vaccines that people people have taken will go down the path that you have. So we yeah, we, we've seen both um, in many, many examples. So, um, you know, and, and really it's, it's sort of this pot boiling over. Does the pot simmer slowly and boil over? Yes. Or do you have this event where you just have the heat come on really quickly and it boils over really fast? We've seen both. Um, so, um, is there anything else you treated with that you haven't already described? You did tell us that you' you are going to be treating your mold soon,, yep. uh, but you haven't done that yet. Anything else that you have already done, not what you're going to do?
1: Yeah, so there was just um, various supplementation, primarily based on blood work throughout the process. It was low on zinc. We then increased the gut egg. then it was too high on zinc bring it back down and just sort of balancing that and also looking at hormones because my hormones crashed early on. And that was, I don't think I've ever felt worse uh, than that. And then it was sort of bringing that back in, but that came more back with as I got healthier and diet exercise and, and a couple of things. So just some supplementation more than anything, but watching how and learning how Doing things at different times of day, if you will, um, including the meditation, the working out, trying to be effective there, and how it would compute to a better outcome for my body.
0: Um, how are you? How are you testing your hormones and your and your uh, your vitamin and mineral levels?
1: Yeah, So I'm getting blood work every four to six months, um, and just kept on it and still keep on it because now once you're in it, and you have the data. It's like okay then you kind of know where you're at for real when doing things. And then if I change something lifestyle wise, I note it and look at it. If I'm supplementing something and hoping for a certain outcome, I note that as well. I also try to note where I'm at emotionally, uh, when getting the bud work done, because from learning from the Lyme thing, learning that emotional component and how it can affect things and how things can get so much worse if you're emotionally worse and so much better when you're emotionally better, uh, is freaking crazy to me. Um, but now it's just, it, it, It's I try to align it with the blood work. But yeah, so I test that. Um, other thing worth mentioning that I learned from the folks at Limestop about me personally, I mentioned them, I said, you know, I hadn't been sick, not even a cold, not a sore throat, not a sniffle in about a decade. I used to brag about this. Um, and then she goes, it was, I, I forget the woman's name, one of the two women that run it, um with the doctor there and they go oh no we see this a lot if you're and their thought was if your immune system is so active controlling the line because it's in your system that anything else small that comes in it's just destroyed so it doesn't take a chance to have an immune response and i was like oh and so they were explaining that that might be something people start looking at like have you not got a cold or anything in a, a very long time not anything You might want to look deeper because I I had nothing for literally about a decade. Uh, No cold, no sore throats, no flu, zero. I was like, I'm in perfect health. But as I've learned a bit more about the immune system, that occasional little cold is it saying, oh, this is something new. And then it has an immune response. I was like, oh, that makes sense. So just something I thought I'd share if I had learned that and looked at myself, I maybe would have gone looking to see if I had an underlying issue, if that was a potential thing, but just at the thought I'd mention in case. Yeah. Thank
0: anything. you. That, that That's really powerful. And we've not heard that before, but it makes perfect sense. Right. I mean, you, you're, you, you have this hyperactive immune system because it's balancing so many bugs in your mic, in, in your, in your, biome yeah. and um, in your microbiome. And, and uh, you know, and that's there, there's a very thin line between having a very active immune system and having a hyperactive immune system where we get to these autoimmune issues that so many of our folks have. Yes, so that's uh that's very powerful. Thank you, thank you. That's really that's really great. So now let's get to uh to winding down here. You've been wonderful, and uh, and, and you're obviously in doing very very well. We've been talking um over two hours now, and you've been really rigorous, so you're doing really well. Ta- talk to us about where you are now.
1: Yeah, so now good it's uh one of the things that i say helps me a lot is reflecting back not to dive deep on it but i have to still remind myself like pretty good um there's still some things coming up that i think going through the mold and and things like that will help um but good i mean physically things are great and that sort of came back first and then cognitively i sometimes have days where i'll get hit and stuff and still some i things that i deal with but addressing um it is easy to get frustrated that those things still aren't solved but then you just remember that you are on this nonlinear path and to sort of keep going with it course correcting Uh, yeah exactly and then so it was super nice x amount of months ago i was able to like really get back to work and have my cognitive function back and like Hit things again and I feel good about it. I was able to up the ante, like at the gym and start going to sparring, like all these other things. And I made this like promise to myself that helped, that sounds maybe a little intense. And I don't mean it to sound this intense, but I was like, I'm going to try to become the most dangerous human being I can intellectually, physically, emotionally, spiritually. I was like, I'm all in now. Like this is the test of it. And so I've really been trying to push to level up myself in all those ways, in the most healthy way possible. But there was something about trying to become the most dangerous in those avenues that-
0: I um, think that's cool.
1: Right, made it fun for me and I was like, screw it. I was like, that was pretty bad or, you know, and there's pieces of it, let's test it. Like how much can I learn and apply? How much can I work out? How many people can I help? No matter if it's through the Lime Avenue or something else, like, let's bring this together and, and take it. And I think too, Just going through seeing so many relationships change. It changed the way I looked at all of them. It didn't didn't matter if it was romantic or friendship or or colleague. It was like, okay, I now have a different bar for that and a different understanding of it that I feel is great. And so it's like, let's go harness a life around that. And I'm really, it's funny, I was talking to a, a songwriter buddy of mine before doing this. And we were just talking about life in general. And I was like, oh, I kind of haven't figured it out now. I was like, I don't want to tour again, but I want to do X amount of shows a year. So I'm figuring that out. I'm teaching barely, but it's because it brings me joy. So I'll teach three students a month because that feels good. Build the business, it's just figuring that thing out. And it's like, you know, for a long time I was going, I just want to get my life back. But I was like, no, that doesn't feel right anymore. It's I want a better life than I had, and I want this experience to be the cause of it. Uh, I, do I wish this on anyone? No, not in a million years. But if I'm going to use it, it better be a step up if it can be, right? And so that's sort of the most dangerous thing. That's why i always felt so good about. I'm just going to become the most dangerous man in every avenue that I can.
0: Of course. And, and, and becoming the most, uh, yeah, instead of the most interesting man in the world, to becoming the most dangerous man in the world means that you have to serve others at the highest level. Yes. Talk to us a little bit more about how you're serving. I mean, you you actually asked to be on this podcast, and we are really blessed that you you uh, you did that because this has been an awesome episode, and folks are going to love to hear this. Uh, you said you're back to teaching um, teaching folks, so, and and you started to hint that you 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 want to help other people in the Lyme community and other places. So give us more of of how you now feel this call to now serve at a higher level than you ever did before.
1: Yeah, I look like the reason I reached out you guys gave me so much value from Kayla's podcast and some of the other ones. It's like, how do you not go? And then I started talking to people and I found out that I had information that could help them. Like there was a Nashville buddy who called me. He's like, Hey, my friend's having these symptoms. It sounds kind of like you got on with them. Didn't have the same tick-borne illness as me, but certainly had a tick-borne illness. Right. And it's like, okay, it's important. At first, I didn't want to talk about this ever. I was like, I will not identify with this. I'm not making an identity of this. This is not who I'm going to be. But then you realize it's like, you don't need to make an identity of it, but you might need to make an identity of helping people, period. Um, Which I was a believer in before, but it's just like, now it's like, no, 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 no. This needs to be more of a driving reason you do anything. Um, Because you realize how easy it is to fall out. Because this gets dark, like, uh, you know, I had moments of the the suicidal thinking and how to call and go deeper on it. And that I don't think gets talked about as far as how normal it can be with this. But the minute I opened it up, it goes, oh yeah, me too. It's like, whoa, we, we need to open up a conversation, which I know exists, but it's like to me, this was a bit different with this one. And again, that emotional component. So it's like, how do we serve and discuss in that way to help? So I know I just think about it, it's like. How do you help the young people in the community is always going to be a big thing. If you have an experience that can help anyone. So it's like, I had a buddy, uh, bring up Lyman cause he was doing hiking. He was, there, he was like, I'm worried about ticks. And I'm like, you should be. And I just walked him through it and I go, here's why you should be. But now that you know this, maybe now you can go back to enjoying your hike. Um, so it's that piece, right? Yeah. It's always a, it's a, that's a tough one. I still struggle with, uh, A piece of that but yeah i i I, yeah the emotional part of the lyme disease brings you back to a place at least me of helping just becomes the only thing because you can feel so helpless in it when people don't understand what you're going through uh that then it's like you will never let anyone else feel
0: that way you've been really generous with your time and 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 i'm gonna let you get back to your family uh, and, uh, and your, your other, your other commitments, but I have one more question, uh, and, in, in this is in the spirit of the final way to serve this community. If God forbid somebody that you cared about, uh, came walking into the room right after the podcast and they were bitten by a tick, what would you recommend that they do? So they wouldn't have to go on either a slow boiled, uh, chronic journey or a speedy chronic journey the way you did.
1: God, Great question. The first thing that I would just say is I would just let them know that uh, they have me the entire way. I would lead with that to just help dissipate some because I think that's part of what the person needs to know and hear. Uh, Then from there, I would recommend them to resources like yours to get that information and and again, walk through it with them because I think the support piece is massive uh, where they feel like they have someone either learning with them or that knows and is then guiding them through. And then secondary to that is I would say, build your team now anyway. You might not need it, but it's better to go seek out that team because you, you might need it someday. And similar to like what my therapist said to me, like, hey, you're getting to that point where you're going to want to know the people if you ever need them. Um, so I would suggest the same thing, like, hey, this is a great opportunity for you to go build a team. If you end up with anything because now you've been bit by a tick, you have these people. And if not, you have these people. So I think those would be my top two It'd be resources like yours and then build your team. And then obviously the overarching is like they have someone in their corner the whole way.
0: But Jimmy, you can't <laughs> thank you enough for taking uh, so much time away from uh, your busy schedule. Uh, you've really blessed me and you've blessed our listeners with this really powerful podcast. So thank you.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks for having me, Rich. And uh, thank you for everything that you do, because it had an amazing impact on my life in a huge way.